PH staff and welcome to the Health Commission meeting of Tuesday, January 17th, 2022. I hope the new year is finding you all well and staying dry and healthy and safe after this very wet weather. Secretary Morowitz, would you please call the roll? Sure. Um, Commissioner Green? Yes. Commissioner Gerardo? Yes. Commissioner Chung? Yes. Commissioner Chow? Yes. And Commissioner Bernal? Yes. A script to read? Yes. Uh, good afternoon and welcome to the uh, January 17th Health Commission meeting. The meeting is being held in hybrid format with the meeting occurring here in person at 101 Grove Street, room 300, broadcast live on SFGov TV, available to view via WebEx or listened to by calling 1 415 655 0003. Before we begin, I'd like to remind all individuals present and attending the meeting in person today that all health and safety protocols and building rules must be adhered to at all times. This includes wearing a mask covering your nose and mouth at all times during the meeting, including any time you may speak. Failure to adhere to these rules and requirements may result in your removal from this room. We appreciate your cooperation with these important rules and requirements in the interest of everyone's health and safety. Please also note that a hand sanitizer station is available at the entrance of this room. Uh, we welcome the public's participation during public comment periods. There will be an opportunity for general public comment towards the beginning of the meeting, and there will be an opportunity to comment on each discussion or action item on the agenda. Each comment is limited to three minutes. Um, I suggest that if you would like to make public comment, you uh, press star three at the beginning of an item uh, as it's called to make sure that your hand is raised in time to be recognized. Public comment will be taken both in person and through call-in. For each item, the commission will take public comment first from people attending the meeting in person, and then from people attending the meeting remotely. Those attending the meeting in person are requested to submit a public comment card to me. Please note that city policies along with federal, state, and local law prohibit discriminatory or harassing conduct against city employees and others during public meetings and will not be tolerated. Moreover, public comment is permitted only on matters within the jurisdiction of the Health Commission. Thank you. Thank you, Secretary Morowitz. And now it's my privilege to offer the Ramaytush Ohlone Land Acknowledgement. The San Francisco Health Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land, and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatush Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We, will, we wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramaytushaloni community and by affirming their sovereign rights as first peoples. Moving on to our next item, we have general public comment. As a reminder to uh, participants uh, who may be viewing that this is the time for any matter that does not appear on the agenda. Secretary Morowitz. Yes, so again, please press star three if you'd like to make a general public comment. Note that there are, are several items around Laguna Honda on the agenda, so if you're making comment about Laguna Honda, this would likely not be the time to do that, um, but that's um, really up to you. So I see one hand, we'll take them in order. Each caller, I will unmute you, and then you will have three minutes. I'm sorry, I'm having trouble unmuting.
Okay. Caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. I am tomorrow. It's yes. Patrick Manetshaw. You've got three minutes, Mr. Manetshaw. Thank you. This commission's August 2nd Finance and Planning Committee minutes reported Baljeet Sangha noted the recertification goal was to add sustainable city positions to take over work of consultants and consultant nurse administrators. Sangha said by the end of 2022, the pilot of the new leadership positions would be evaluated to determine if the leadership model is effective. Commissioner Guillermo assumed the pilot leadership might warrant continuation, but asked for evaluation data of the leadership model and the timeline for recruiting Laguna Honda positions. Sangha claimed job postings might be posted by the end of the year 2022. Responding to my January 11th record request, next request staff asserted DPH had, quote, no responsive records, end quote, for either the evaluation data Guillermo had requested, nor the evaluation analysis report Sangha told Commissioner Chow would be conducted by the end of the year to determine if the leadership model is effective. Why is this data and analysis not been completed yet? This commission knows perfectly well that hiring a licensed, deeply experienced nursing home administrators could take over the work of these consultants. That hiring for a nursing home administrator should be a top priority and is in the best interest of Laguna Honda Hospital's residents. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Uh, folks on the line, I've been told that there's a, it's hard to hear, uh, hard to hear us on SFGov TV, and so um, just remember there's an option to watch us on um, WebEx because we're having technical difficulties. That's the only hand that I see for general public comment. All right, thank you, Secretary Morowitz. Thank you, caller. Our next item for discussion is the Joint Conference Committee and other committee reports. For this, we have Commissioner Ed Chow, who is a member of the Laguna Honda Hospital, JCC. Uh, thank you, President uh, uh, Bernal. Uh, in the absence of Commissioner Guillermo, she has asked uh, for me to report what the JCC uh, had done on January 10th. Commissioner Chow, so please uh, please speak up a little bit. Thank you. Okay. Uh, is that better now? Yes, sir. Yes. Yes, sir. Okay. Thank you. And uh, might just note that, uh, Mark, when you're speaking, you're also quite uh, soft. Thank you. Okay. Um, Commissioner Guillermo asked me to report the following on the January 10th. Laguna Honda JCC, the committee reviewed its standards report, including the executive report, human resources, finance report, and the regulatory affairs report. We discussed also the recent updates on recertification and closure plan updates, which are contained in today's uh, meeting uh, update. The committee also discussed the voluminous policies which are on today's agenda 
and heard comments and concerns from the members of the public. At the meeting, Commissioner Guillermo also wished to uh, set the tone for today's meeting uh, in, in the following, and I will paraphrase uh, her remarks that she otherwise would be here to give. The bulk of the necessary work is already in place to move towards the implementation of the action plan. Laguna Honda is not waiting for CMS or CDPH approval to do the improvement work. That work continues daily. There may be some adjustments from CMS on the action plan or from uh, CDPH on plans to correct submitted in response to surveys. However, the infrastructure, as we have heard, is in place to continue moving forward. We all need to orient ourselves in this positive manner, even with the unknown issues and final approval still pending from regulatory bodies. We have the strategies and operational structure in place. The enormous amount of effective quality improvement work and ongoing monitoring of that work done by our staff and consultants are an indication of the excellence we are trying to put in place as Laguna is reestablishing itself as a high quality, high performance skilled nursing facility. And that ends uh, Commissioner Guillermo's uh, comments that she wanted all of us to have heard today. All right. Yeah, any questions. Thank you, Commissioner Chow, and thank you also to uh, Commissioner Guillermo, who could not be here today, and for also um, laying out, I think, very clearly and eloquently the extraordinary work that has already been done and as is in place working towards recertification of Laguna Honda Hospital. And I just want to underscore again on behalf of the Commission that Laguna Honda remains dedicated to the successful recertification in the Medicare and Medicaid programs so that we can continue providing care to our most vulnerable San Franciscans uh, in uh, bringing long-term stability to our community. So thank you again for that report, Commissioner uh, Chow. Uh, Secretary Moritz, is there any public comment before we go to Commissioner comments or questions? Folks on the line, we're on item three. If you'd like to make public comment, please press star three. I see two hands. Again, this comment would be about specifically about the joint conference committee um, meeting of January 10th. Report back. All right. Caller Evan Mutuji, please let us know that you're there. Hi, yeah, this is Dr. Teresa Palmer. Um, at the joint conference, conference committee, the um, root cause analysis, um, the action plan and the revised closure plan was repeatedly mentioned, but the public has not seen, actually the health department has concealed these documents from the public. And so um, the public, uh, and I think this is against the rules of the settlement, which says that uh, there should be transparency. And um, so I would like to see those documents and I'm sure others would. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Caller, please let us know that you're there. I am, it's Patrick. Yes, you've got three minutes. Thank you. During Commissioner Guillermo's summary of a JCC meeting, she didn't mention that of the eight item categories of the root cause analysis, 
uh, Roland Pickens presented, including category number six involving comprehensive care planning, and category number seven involving competent staff training and quality of care. The 26 deficiencies CMS cited in April 2020 to justify decertifying Laguna Honda and suspending new admissions as of January 14th and the denial of payment for new admissions were largely the result of staff failures developing and documenting Laguna Honda residents' comprehensive care plans and the quality of care residents had received. So it's shocking that those very same deficiencies cited last April, justifying decertifying Laguna Honda and yanking Medi-Cal revenue funding, were cited all over again in the December uh, citations involving the 12 patient deaths and the $36,000 in fines. Pickens claimed on January 10th, the 12 citations were, quote, by no means, by no means account for all of the work that has been achieved since April of 2022. The December citations suggest otherwise. Guillermo failed to report Pickens' claim that an executive summary of the action plan had been shared with Laguna Honda staff. Since the summary of it was shared with staff, the executive summary could be shared with members of the public and publicly released now. Guillermo failed to report Pickens' claim that Laguna Honda would appeal those 12 Class V citations on December, that Laguna Honda received on December 20th, but Pickens was reporting bunk because by January 10th, CDPH's 15-day window to appeal those 12 citations had already passed, and Laguna Honda had not appealed the 36,000 in fines. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for your comment. There's one more hand. Hi, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Yes, I'm here. I'm, uh, this is Michael Lyon, also from Gray Panthers. I'm glad to hear about the optimism that um, has been reported about the, uh, avoiding the deadly discharges and the closing. But I have to uh, say I'm not so reassured. The um, the closure plan, the revised closure plan, root cause analysis, and the action plan, we haven't seen and, and uh, hasn't been revealed. And it's how can we have assurance that, the, uh, that this is really going to uh, be satisfying to CMS or CDPH if we haven't seen it? I think that there's been a very bad lack of uh lack of transparency on this whole thing. And from the very beginning uh, of, of this crisis, um, there was a lack of transparency when uh, Roland Pickens was only just, uh, 
describing kind of secondhand what his conversations, his verbal conversations with uh, CMS has been. So um, you guys have to be a lot more transparent. Thank you. Thank you. And there was one more hand that popped up. Hi, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Hi, my name is uh, Norman Degelman, and I'm a longtime resident of San Francisco. I'm also a member of the Great Panthers, and I urge the commission to support services for uh, houseless seniors and disabled, treatment on demand for substance use and mental illness, prevent a revolving door of oh. hospitalization. Mr. Begelman, uh, Mr. Begelman, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt your this this comment um, this section is for comments about a specific meeting, the JCC meeting. I'm not hearing your Oh, okay. Comment. I'm sorry. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Okay. That's the last hand. All right. Thank you, Secretary Morowitz. Thank you, callers, for uh, sharing your perspectives. And commissioners, do you have any comments or questions for Commissioner Chow related to the, JCC, the Laguna Honda JCC meeting on January 10th? Seeing no questions or comments, we will move on to our next item, which is the Laguna Honda Hospital and Rehabilitation Center closure plan and CMS recertification update. We have Roland Pickens, who's the acting CEO of Laguna Honda Hospital. Thank you, Director Pickens, and to your entire team at Laguna Honda for all of your very hard work, which I'm sure we'll see a lot of today to ensure that we are able to uh, continue to provide excellent care at this critical institution. Could Pleasure you to be here with you. Can you hear me? I think so. Uh, and I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Pickens, um, both your and my microphones are the, are the ones that are having the equipment issues. Commissioners, can, can you give um, Mr. Pickens a thumbs up if, he's, if he sounds okay? okay? Okay, great. Thank you. So thank you for this opportunity to provide this update to you on Laguna Honda, and uh, we'll proceed with the uh, presentation. Kenya, please pull up the presentation. I'm pulling it up right now. We can see it. Just uh, start the sl at the slideshow with the full slide, please. Can you can you do slideshow and then start slide so it's the full screen? All right. I think I have the wrong one pulled up. Give me a few seconds. I'm sorry. Great, thank you. Okay, great, uh, let's move on to the next slide. 
So as we know, Laguna Honda is the largest publicly run skilled nursing facility in the country. Uh, the institution has been around for more than 150 years and has been a pillar of the San Francisco healthcare system, providing healthcare services to approximately 700 residents when we're at our full complement. Um, as you know, Laguna Honda cares for some of uh, the most uh, chronically complex uh, individuals who have skilled nursing facility needs, many of whom have multiple chronic conditions such as stroke, traumatic brain injury, and other degenerative diseases. We have the complete complement of skilled nursing and rehab services, and we have some model um, uh, programs uh, that serve as national models. Uh, our monolingual units in Spanish and Chinese, uh, palliative care, AIDS, uh, HIV care, <coughs> memory care. Next slide. Uh, you'll recall uh, in, 20, in April of 2022, uh, Laguna Honda uh, was deemed decertified um, by the CMS program. Uh, that occurred as a result of an initial self-reporting of two non-fatal overdoses uh, that occurred uh, previously in the summer of 2021. Uh, as a result of several um, uh, surveys um, that occurred, uh, the um, institution was found to be not in substantial compliance with all of the CMS rules and regulations. As you can imagine, that decertification had a significant blow both to the organization in terms of uh, the uh, residents that we were taking care of uh, uh, but also in terms of uh, the financial implications to uh, the viability of Laguna. Um, the federal reimbursement uh, at Laguna uh, constitutes uh, about $550,000 per day or more than $200 million a year in the annual budget. It's important to note that even uh, uh, at the in, uh, initiation of that decertification back in April, Laguna Honda has remained consistently open and operating uh, and providing, continuing to provide the highest quality of care to our residents as we work through the process towards recertification. Next slide. So that path towards recertification occurred immediately upon uh, that April decertification. We immediately got to work uh, setting for our path towards recertification. We brought on uh, consulting external experts uh, the Department of Public Health instituted an incident command system at Laguna, very much so in the same way that the city instituted incident command to manage the COVID-19 outbreak. And this just shows how seriously uh, uh, the Department of Public Health and the city took the situation uh, at Laguna. Next slide. Part of that decertification uh, led to uh, the requirement that Laguna institute a patient transfer and closure plan that was a requirement of CMS, uh, both in terms of uh, the requirements of in, uh, institutions that were uh, certified, cert, uh, cert certified and then deemed to be non-certified, but it also was a requirement that we submit these mandatory uh, transfer closure plans in order to receive uh, ongoing federal um, reimbursement. Under the terms uh, of that, um, of that uh, settlement agreement, we initiated some initial transfers and discharges from Laguna. Um, we are all aware of some of the outcomes of those transfers and discharges. Uh, and because of that, um, those outcomes, 
uh, a settlement was settlement was re uh, reached between the city and county through the city attorney's office and CMS through their legal representatives back on November the 10th. Uh, under that settlement agreement, CMS agreed to continue paying for care at Laguna uh, uh, up and until through November 13th of this year, 2023. Under the terms of that settlement agreement, CMS also agreed to a pause uh, in involuntary discharges and transfer of residents until February 2nd, 2023. As you can imagine, that February 2nd date is upon us now. And to that end, uh, we have been in communication with CMS leadership uh, and have communicated to them that based upon uh, the improvements that have been made to date and our continued progress towards recertification, we uh, uh, have formally requested uh, that they exercise their discretion and grant a continuation of the pause and transfers. And as soon as we receive um, uh, their response to our request, we will definitely make sure that all stakeholders are kept informed. Next slide. Another component of the settlement agreement uh, was that CMS will conduct monitoring surveys of Laguna Honda every 90 days. Those, these surveys are unannounced, they are extensive, and uh, actually constitute uh, basically trial runs of doing a full CMS certification survey. The first of these monitoring surveys actually began on November 28th of 2022. Uh, with over 20 surveyors uh, on site at Laguna Honda uh, to conduct that survey. It lasted for about three weeks and concluded on December 16th. Uh, Laguna Honda worked collaboratively with the uh, CMS uh, and CDPH survey teams, uh, and it was noted through the survey process uh, by the surveyors that they felt Laguna uh, did a really good job in addressing issues real time. Laguna uh, has received uh, what's called the 2567 uh, on January 9th. That is a report that shows what uh, the surveyor survey findings were. Uh, we have submitted a plan as required under the settlement agreement to uh, address those survey findings and what our plans are to um, uh, remedy any survey findings. Um, that uh, plan um, is in the uh, uh, is with C CMS and uh, CDPH, and we will be implementing that plan as it is approved by CMS. Next slide. Another component of the settlement agreement uh, was uh, that um, Laguna Honda would engage a quality <coughs> improvement expert to assess our progress towards recertification. Uh, CMS approved the uh, identification of Health Services Advisory Group uh, as that quality improvement expert. Uh, as the quality improvement expert um, is required under the settlement agreement, uh, Health Services Advisory Group conducted a root cause analysis that reviewed many of the past surveys uh, over the last two years at Laguna, including the mock survey that was conducted in June and July of this past year. In that root cause analysis, uh, Health Services Advisory Group 
uh, described in detail what they saw as the reasons behind uh, the circumstances that led to the uh, decertification um, um, of Laguna back in April of 2022. Um, one of the common themes of that root cause analysis uh, is that over time, Laguna Honda policies and practices uh, became out of sync with those of high-performing skilled nursing homes uh, and were more akin to those of an acute care hospital. Next slide. So in terms of uh, our path towards recertification, over the last several months, we presented uh, to you uh, what was our then roadmap towards recertification. Well, the settlement agreement really reset the clock on all of that. The settlement agreement, uh, in terms of the root cause analysis and the action plan, really now sets the new path towards recertification, because that's what uh, CMS is using to determine uh, our readiness uh, and our progress towards recertification. Uh, so the uh, proposed, um, the RCA was completed and conducted by Health Services Advisory Group, and they shared those uh, results with CMS. CMS had to approve it, and then they shared uh, the RCA with Laguna Honda. Uh, in addition to uh, sharing the root cause analysis with Laguna, um, the QIE was required to work collaboratively with the staff at Laguna to develop an action plan to address all of the areas identified in the root cause analysis. Uh, that action plan, uh, uh, a proposed action plan has been developed and has been submitted to CMS and we are awaiting uh, their response either to approval of that plan or, or indication back to us if, if changes or edits are, 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 are needed before they might approve that plan. Uh, we anticipate hopefully hearing from them by the end of today. Uh, on the results of uh, their approval or response to that plan. And we will certainly make sure the commission and other stakeholders are aware of that response. Uh, but again, this action plan represents uh, our new blueprint for how we will accomplish recertification. Uh, it includes um, uh, eight broad categories uh, in terms of uh, circumstances that led to the uh, situation at Laguna that contributed to decertification. And it also, very much like the mock survey that we previously presented, uh, has several hundreds of milestones or corrective actions that must be accomplished between now and May 13th, because May 13th is the date identified in the settlement agreement by which uh, all actions in the action plan must be completed. Uh, next slide. So you'll recall uh, several months ago we uh, uh, provided a, a similar diagram that tried to lay out uh, on one page what the timelines associated with recertification were. So this is our, again, our new updated timeline based upon the root cause analysis and the RCA. And the way to read this, if you look at the top, that really represents uh, all of the ongoing CMS regulatory certification survey readiness activities. So it includes those every 90 day uh, monitoring surveys, the 
first of which, as I mentioned, occurred in November. Uh, we are um, uh, shortly in the window for our next monitoring survey, uh, which could theoretically happen sometime in late February to March or early April. Again, these are unannounced, but based upon the first survey, that's when we're expecting the next 90-day monitoring survey. Uh, and um, so in addition to the 90-day monitoring surveys, we're still continuing uh, all of the work that we had done prior to the settlement agreement. You'll recall we put in 24-hour-a-day um, uh, observations arounding where we actually have uh, staff who go around Laguna Honda uh, looking for um, uh, opportunities to um, make sure that staff are following the appropriate procedures. Are we doing appropriate hand hygiene? Are staff wearing the appropriate um, um, personal protective information? Uh, are staff following policies and procedures when it comes to residents' rights? Are we answering resident call lights in a timely manner? Uh, are we making sure that uh, residents uh, are being afforded the appropriate dignity? Uh, for example, if a resident has a, a, a catheter, making sure that that bag is not just laying in, in public view, that it's in an appropriate privacy bag. So, you know, we've infused um, the concept of 24-hour uh, a day of uh, uh, regulatory compliance and readiness. The bottom of this uh, diagram then deals with the action plan, our new blueprint uh, towards recertification. Uh, so it um, shows that the draft of the proposed action plan was submitted to CMS on uh, January 6th, uh, and that that action plan, um, once it is approved by CMS, will need to be completed by May uh, 13th. Again, it hasn't been approved yet, so it's still in draft form, but as soon as it is, uh, we will uh, share that information widely. But as Dr. Chow read Commissioner Guillermo's um, um, notes, uh, we, we're not waiting on that formal approval. The work actually uh, has been ongoing uh, and uh, are hopeful that CMS will approve uh, the, the plan and not require too many changes or edits. So again, we're, we weren't worried while, we, while it is required we get formal approval, we're not waiting on that approval. The work has already begun and continues. Next slide. So an, another component of the settlement agreement was that uh, Laguna Honda needed to submit a revised closure and patient transfer um, plan. Uh, that revised closure plan uh, was submitted on December 21st and um, we are still Let's see, we are, are still in the process of receiving input from CMS uh, on whether or not uh, they have accepted the modifications we've made to that plan. Uh, many of those modifications had to do with uh, the patient, uh, the rather the resident assessment process, particularly uh, in the event that we would be forced to resume transfers, which again, we are are hopeful that will not happen. We have submitted the request uh, in communication to CMS requesting that they extend the pause. And hopefully, while we were required to submit an updated closure plan, hopefully 
it's a plan that would just be a plan in plan only and never have to be implemented. But again, that will be subject to CMS's consideration and approval of our request to uh, extend the pause. I think it's important to note that um, uh, our revisions to that closure plan took into account uh, the information that uh, we learned as we did our, intern our own internal review of uh, the cases of the deaths of former Laguna Honda residents who were transferred to other facilities. Um, uh, in addition to our own internal review, uh, CDPH also conducted uh, their review of 12 of those former Laguna residents who subsequently passed away at other facilities, typically weeks or months after they had left the care of Laguna Honda. Um, um, we uh, were made aware uh, that uh, the California Department of Public Health issued 12 Class B citations based upon their review of those resident cases. Uh, it's important to note that uh, in the classification of citations that uh, California Department of Public Health issues, Class B is the lowest level of citation. Uh, and it's also important to note that uh, those CDPH um, citations did not find that Laguna Honda caused serious harm or was the direct or approximate cause of any resident's death. And I think that's important to note because staff uh, worked hard at Laguna while we uh, um, you know, fought as hard as we could not to have to implement transfers. Uh, as you know, we were forced to under that plan. Uh, and so felt that we had done our due diligence to meet uh, the requirements of the plan that had been approved. It's important to note that while CDPH has issued these citations, uh, Laguna Honda, uh, while we, and we take these citations seriously and have submitted a plan of correction to CDPH, uh, we do not agree with all of the allegations uh, that were stated in those citations and that we have uh, started the appeal process uh, to appeal those um, citations while we further evaluate the cases. And it's important that we also take a little time here to acknowledge and recognize um, the impact of those citations uh, on our staff, our residents, uh, and the families at Laguna Honda. Uh, again, because none of us wanted to initiate those transfers, it was very challenging. And so we uh, are working hard um, to, again, uh, make sure uh, through our uh, advocacy and our request to CMS that we not have to resume transfers, but want our staff to know that uh, by no means are, are we um, um, feeling that um, they were at, um, uh, at fault in any of those cases. So next slide. So that is a, a uh, a, a high-level overview of where we are uh, this first meeting of the new year, um, given that we had the settlement agreement, the uh, RCA group analysis, the submission of the action plan, all of those things happened uh, kind of during the holiday break. Uh, wanted to uh, update the commission uh, and the public with where we are 
the fact that we have submitted our action plan for the root cause analysis or awaiting CDPH uh, hopeful approval or response, uh, and that we uh, are re requesting that CMS uh, continue the process <coughs> in transfers. Um, so uh, that uh, concludes my formal presentation, and I'm happy to try and answer any questions you might have. Thank you, Director Pickens, for the, for that uh, very thorough report and for really giving us a good sense of where things stand right now and also highlighting the really uh, excellent work that's being done at Laguna Honda in order to uh, regain certification to continue to support this uh, Laguna Honda as a critical institution that it is for San Francisco. Uh, Secretary Moritz, do we have any uh, public comment? Sure, thank you. Folks on the line, we're on... Item four, the Laguna Honda Hospital and Rehabilitation Center Closure Plan and CMS re Recertification Update. If you'd like to make a comment on this item, please press star three. I was remiss in not reading this statement earlier, so I'm gonna read a, a statement about general public comment. I mean, about public comment. For each agenda item, members of the public will have an opportunity to make comment for up to three minutes. The public comment process is designed to invite input and feedback from individuals in the community. However, the process does not allow questions to be answered in the meeting or for members of the public to engage in back and forth conversation with the commissioners. The commissioners do consider comments from members of the public when discussing an item and making requests to the DPH. Please note that each individual is allowed one opportunity to speak per agenda item. Individuals may not return more than once to read statements from others unable to attend the meeting. Written public comment may be sent to me at this email address, mark, M-A-R-K dot M-O-R-E-W-I-T-Z at sfdph.org. If you'd like to spell your name for the minutes, you may do so during your verbal comments without taking your allotted time. All right, again, folks, please press star three if you'd like to make a comment on this item. I see lots of hands. I'll take you one by one. Okay. All right, caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Yes. Well, yes, my name is Dr. Alan Cooper, uh, and I um, am a member of the Advisory Council of the Department of Disability Aging Services. I, it sounds very encouraging that uh, Laguna Honda will be able to get recertified, and we're certainly pleased about that. But part of that recertification, obviously, based on your initial comment, is that people uh, who are inappropriate for a nursing home are going to have to be accommodated. Many of them are going to be seniors, often with this, uh, mental health disorders and with substance use, ongoing substance use disorders. Unfortunately, often people like that end up on the street and, or in or are discharged through shelters and eventually end up in the street. Uh, we have uh, the DOS Advisory Council prepared a report suggesting a number of services that can be placed by DOS, by HSH, and by DPH in shelters and then reach out in the street uh, to mitigate the harm that will come to those people and hopefully to allow them to remain while they're waiting for more permanent placements um, out of the acute hospital and out of jail. I hope uh, someone in DPH will take, uh, be able to look at our report and will work with us and with HSH as well as Muni um, to implement some of those suggestions 
and help the people who don't belong in Laguna Honda because of the acuteness and severity of their illness uh, and can keep uh, and keep them help Laguna Honda comply and help those people get well. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Hi, I'll try again here. My name is uh, Norm Dagelman, and I'm a longtime resident of San Francisco and a member of the Great Panthers. And I urge the commissioners to support services for houseless seniors and disabled, uh, treatment on demand for substance use and mental illness, prevent a revolving door of hospitalizations that lead to greater illness and death, need for uh, more nursing home beds. And thank you very much. Oh, thank you for your comments. All right, caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Hi, this is Dr. Teresa Palmer. Um, I wish to take uh, issue with Mr. Pickett's statement that most of the deaths occurred weeks or months. Um, after uh, discharge, 50% uh, of uh, the discharges were dead at the three-week mark. And um, reading over the citations, it's obvious that um, bad advice from CDPH and lack of experience on the part of the Laguna Honda administration led to panicky, um, inadequate discharges by staff that were fearing for their jobs if they did not obey, even though the discharges were unethical, there was not what we call a warm handoff. Um, in nursing homes, a discharge to another nursing home is re relatively infrequent and more complicated than discharge to acute because you're, uh, you're handing over the care of a person for their whole life to the, uh, to the nursing home. And um, it's pretty amazing that um, CDPH found that this wasn't the proximal cause of death. As in most of the cases, it clearly was, especially the lady that was transferred, uh, knowing that uh, the nursing home she was transferred to had active COVID and quickly died of COVID. And I think because CDPH itself was implicit in bad advice and bad management that they slap the hand instead of doing the, the serious um, uh, citations that should have uh, happened. Um, that's water under the bridge now. What we need to do is not repeat this exercise. Even if planning for discharge is indicated, discharges of SNF eligible patients should not occur. These people should remain at Laguna Honda there is no justification for jeopardizing their lives like this. And I think um, it's going to be very expensive for the city in terms of litigation um, if this exercise in cruelty does recur. Uh, please do everything you can to, re uh, to avoid this. And um, uh, I personally will do my best in begging CMS to not force it. But I think even if CMS advises it, it would be ethical of Laguna Honda to um, appeal that and uh, drag their feet as long as possible. Thank you. Thank you for your comment.
All right, next caller, you're unmuted because let us know that you're there. I am. It's Patrick Munachaw. All right, you've got three minutes. This commission has been propping up the facade. DPH and Laguna Honda are actually progressing towards CMS recertification. Slide nine, uh, Mr. Pickham's presentation shows Laguna Honda expects action plans responding to ongoing 90-day monitoring surveys will go well past July 2023 and expects additional root cause analysis reports following each 90 survey will rage on through August of 2023. Mr. Fang uh, informed Commissioner Chow last August 20, August 2nd, that recertification would occur by December 31st. The stated goal since Laguna Honda's decertification in April. Pickham's slide states, quote, we will take on new projects to better align our facility with CMS regulations and skilled nursing facility best practices. These projects, which include ongoing facility and capital projects, will contribute to more successful surveys, end quote. This comports with Director of Public Health Grant Colfax's recertification strategy org chart indicating that capital projects are integral for recertification. The commission should release immediately a list of the capital projects currently underway or planned. The list should describe how each capital project will contribute to a achieving more successful facility inspection surveys and how those projects will help Laguna Honda obtain recertification. Does it involve remodeling patient rooms to facilitate eliminating 120 beds? I personally find Mr. Pickens' statement a few minutes ago that staff and residents um, ha have been impacted by the 12 class D citations and that staff were not at fault. It's clearly the fault of staff who identified all 12 of those patients uh, for discharge, the majority of which, or 10 out of 12 at least, had serious dementia and were elderly. And uh, thank you, Mr. Uh, Your time is up. All right, caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Hello? Are you there, caller? Is that me? Yes. Okay, I'm um, not sure if I'm on the phone or on WebEx, uh, but. I want to say that uh, my name is Art Persico. I'm a uh, member of the San Francisco Great Panthers. I'm appalled at the whole process. I think this was an unforced error. I'm, I'm glad that uh, Dr. Pickens is uh, you know, making progress and the uh, Luna Hospital is making progress toward recertification. 
um, it's just tragic what's happened to these residents. And I think it's pathetic to try to absolve yourselves of responsibility for the deaths that occurred. Uh, San Francisco deserves a fully functioning long-term public, long-term care facility. Uh, and I think it was operating that way until mismanagement began to creep in. So uh, once again, I, I, I applaud you, your intent and your efforts to uh, make sure that no more discharges occur uh, that, like the ones that happened last year. And uh, just know that um, there are many of us here in San Francisco that are watching what you're doing, and we're going to be very vigilant, and we will keep keep watching and be try to make sure that you're accountable and do the right thing by San Francisco's fragile uh, elderly population that, that needs uh, long-term care good solid long-term care in San Francisco. Thank you very much. Bye -bye. Thank you for your comment. But, uh, eight more hands. You're on muted caller. Please let us know that you're there. Yes, hello. Um, can you hear me? Yes. Can you? Okay, thank you. Um, thank you for taking public comment on this really, really important, very important issue. My name's Donna Dufemia, and my brother is currently at Laguna Honda in the um, Smith um, Skilled Nursing Facility. Um, and um, it's amazing as I listen to the report that on December 21st, there was a it was submitted to the CMS to request no transfers. And there is still not, it, what is today, January 17th, there's still not an answer when we just have a little over a few weeks. So um, the whole thing, as it sounds with dealing with the CMS, uh, with having the patient transfers be somewhat of a carrot or somewhat as of an extortion or somewhat as a bargaining chip, it is beyond amazing, is beyond just using people and patients to do uh, some kind of end game where Laguna is gonna step up. Well, Laguna is stepping up. And so we know that and we see that and you know it's gonna take a little while before things get a little better. Um, I would have to say too that I'm, I think it is still happening that there are no new patients coming into the hospital. And the hospital is a little bit of like a morgue right now. I walk by rooms and I see a lot of empty beds. And it's horrible to be in that kind of situation to be sort of blackmailed into keeping the hospital open. I wish there was an open meeting for the CMS for public comment to let them know how this plays down how it trickles down to the actual patients, how it trickles down to the actual family members, you know, and how it trickles down to the people that could be having care that are not having care. And so um, even the uh, roommate that was in my brother's room is now gone and they have not uh, replaced him with anybody else. So there's an empty bed sitting there that could be servicing someone. Very, very difficult realities to swallow when there are people that are suffering and need help. So. Um, my hope is, is that um, whoever can do anything to help this process to not 
have the patient transfer start, please do that. Thank you. Thank you. All right, caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Yes, I am. My name is Susan Englander. I'm a former RN, and I'm a member of the Harvey Milk LGBTQ Democratic Club. First of all, I am a professional, and I understand what it is to come before the public and appear as professional, even-handed, and um, uh, neutral. However, the level of discourse that I hear from both the Health Commission and the Department of Public Health borders on indifference, lack of empathy. We're dealing not with only human beings, which is, you know, an issue enough, but we're dealing with elderly, ill, infirm, disabled human beings that have been put on the edge of a cliff, dangling, waiting to hear what their future is regarding their housing, their health care, their ability to eat and sleep safely. I'm just appalled. I'm also appalled that all of the problems that have been dogging Laguna Honda as a result of public health and health commission decisions for years only come to a head when it is when Laguna Honda is threatened with closure. You've been dragging your feet. You've been misusing the beds. You've been you've been admitting patients, you've been admitting clients, you've been admitting people who are inappropriate to the beds at Laguna Honda, have no business being there, but what has the city done to create resources and facilities for these people? Nothing, nothing. It's appalling. And the Department of Health and the Health Commission is complicit complicit in this situation. So I point the finger at you all as you tread water and try to figure out what the heck you are doing. How dare you? How dare you when you should have known for years what you should have been doing, which is paying attention to Laguna Honda. It's residents and it's staff, it's union staff, which does its best, I tell you, its best to keep their clients, their patients, well cared for, clean, fed, and loved. I have nothing but disdain Thank you for, for your these comments, two your, bodies. Your time for public comment is... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I apologize for cutting people off, but I have to do that for every person, so everyone has the same amount of time. Next caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Yeah, we talk about the Laguna Honda crisis, and indeed it is a crisis where 11 have died already and perhaps hundreds more if the default plan of closure and deadly discharges actually takes place in 16 days. Yet to see the Laguna Honda crisis in isolation 
is a tunnel narrow vision of the problem. And seeing it in isolation will inevitably lead to more crises, even if we survive this crisis. The real crisis is an intersection of many crises. A crisis of lack of care for people with mental illness and substance abuse problems, and for people with disabilities, where mental health SF has been delayed for months, and people still wait months for services, while the city blames these victims and says they refuse services and need conservatorship. A crisis of lack of housing for thousands of San Francisco residents who have been freezing in the cold and, cold and rain and are now targeted for police action. Remember, 71% of homeless San Franciscos used to rent here, showing that the city's encouragement of luxury housing is the cause of homelessness. And a crisis of inequality where dozens, there's a dozen billionaires living in the city while others sleep in the doorways. You individual health commission members are not individually responsible for these crises, but it is true that your actions have gone along with the city's agenda of coddling the rich and letting the poor huddles in the street or risk expulsion from Laguna Honda Hospital. You've let CPMC effectively close subacute care in the city, requiring very fragile patients to be sent hundreds of miles away, just like the Laguna Honda diaspora. You've let the CPMC shrug off primary care from St. Luke's Hospital because it, let, it pays less. I hope we can get through this Laguna Honda crisis by the skin of our teeth but you are responsible for going along with the city's agenda of capitalism unrestrained. This is very bad. All right, we'll call our end of the call. Um, is there a few more hands I see? Caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Hello, yes, I'm here. Yes, you've got three minutes. Okay. My name is Rasa Moss. I'm a resident of San Francisco since 1973 and fortunate enough to live in my own home, but near La Laguna Honda. And I, like many other people, are very much aware that of the long history of this place, which is the shelter for those who have nothing and need care, a long-term care, who are frail and have no place else to go. And I've known people who have worked there and volunteered there and who have loved doing so because of the dedication of the staff. And to think that you would allow anybody to be taken out of there against their will when they need the skilled nursing care is unimaginable. It's beyond cruel. It's like certainly on a par with dumping somebody out into the street. And some of those people probably will end up in the streets if this happens. So I urge you, whoever is, can't has any bit of responsibility, and also the staff, to refuse alien orders such as that, uh, that would force people out. To so just simply not go along because it is a human right to have shelter, and it is simply unbearably barbaric to allow anybody to be just thrown out of there who is a resident. And I hope that you will soon be admitting new patients again and recognize that a big cause of the problem seems to have been the admission 
of people whose problem is drug addiction and they cannot actually be served well at Laguna Honda. It's not a drug treatment center. It is a long-term care facility and a, a haven for the frail. So there, there is a great need for drug treatment facilities, but this is not one of them. And if drug offenses have been a problem, and that's part of the reason you're in this crisis, then please review your policies and separate those who can also do harm to the other residents because of their own serious problems with drugs. So they do not belong in Laguna Honda, but there are lots of people who could use that help. So thank you very much. I'm, I don't have anybody there. I don't work there. And I don't... I'm just a resident, one of many residents who are totally shocked and outraged by what is happening. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for your comment. Caller, you're on muted. Please let us know that you're there. Hi, we are here. Yes, you've got three minutes on the clock. Fantastic. Hi, everyone. My name is Giovanni Lara. I'm a pharmacy student at UCSF. I'm representing the um, Environmental Health Advocacy Group. Um, I would just like to say a few statements on the importance of environmental health and how this could be relevant for all of us and how I hope that hospital systems um, and skilled nursing facilities like Lagunda Honda will be able to uh, practice and advocate uh, good practices around this. Um, the good or bad quality of our life is depending on the quality of our natural environment. Our need for food, water, shelter, and other things depends on the environment around us. There must be a balance of natural cycles that exist between the environment and the lives of human beings, plants, and animals. Um, and with many large systems in place, uh, such as hospital systems, skilled nursing facilities, and various other industries, um, there begins to be begin a uh, tilt and a balance. And this is something that we have to really focus on so that we can make sure that our environment uh, stays well protected and of an adequate standard for those um, that will be after us. Human society is really just playing this vital role in this. Um, there are many harmful effects of human activities on the environment. Some of these are pollution, overpopulation, waste disposal, climate change, global warming, and the greenhouse effect. A big reason that this poses a threat to our environment is of the harmful gases in the air. In addition, there are cases of tobacco use um, and other such things that can be harmful, especially when um, they are used in close proximity with those with respiratory uh, illnesses. I'm glad that Laguna Honda does have the uh, tobacco-free uh, place and designated areas for smoking. We just believe that this is something that's really uh, important and something that should uh, stay maintained. Um, we also believe that uh, at the government, there should be at every level, of course, uh, there must be implementation of strict laws for these industries um, in order to reduce their amount of waste, especially as many of these wastes uh, are hazardous and toxic and proper waste management is a very key point uh, just to make sure that this is properly maintained. Um, awareness programs should be organized to encourage citizens as well to use uh, public transport as much as possible as uh, using automobiles and other forms of transportation can also be very hazardous for our air, um, something that we all utilize. Uh, in the end, I just want to say that uh, it's really important to spread environmental awareness for our society as it does affect our health and our day-to-day -day life. Um, it's something that we see that is the responsibility of every citizen, but especially those of, that are managing uh, larger uh, buildings and industries to really focus on maintaining that bit of environment as uh, degradation of that really just hurts all of us. Um, hopefully that together we can all work together towards a greener and more sustainable future. Thank you.
Thank you for your comments. And commissioners, I believe this is the last comment. All right, caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Yes, hi, my name is Joseph Urban. And I'd like to continue to highlight the issues of transfer trauma at Laguna Honda, and I implore you to resist allowing physicians to authorize the transfer of residents to other facilities after February 2nd. I'm assuming you've all had a chance to review the 12 citation that CDPH presented to the Laguna Honda administration. I hope you found the story to be heartbreaking. We learned of at least two additional deaths caused by this ham-fisted program. I have mapped the dates of discharge to the dates of death for each of the 11 residents that have expired. And this is what we learned about these 11 residences. They were discharged between June 10th and July 13th, 2022. The first died on, January, on July 1st. The longest time that the, one of these people took to survive was 67 days. The most swift death only took 10 days. The average time of death was 29, but the mean time of death was 21 days. While the reported number of evictions at Laguna Honda was 57, the actual number of skilled nursing residents reported as 41. This is the population to measure those deaths against, 11 out of 41. That's a death rate of 27% and not the 22% I've reported in prior public statements, which I believe we can agree is already an absurdly high metric. Let's assign a 27% to the estimated 400 skilled nursing residents remaining at Laguna Honda. Over 100 residents will be dead by the end of this program. Over 50 will die within three weeks of discharge. Now, since the transfer relocation program was delayed last year, there's not been a robust study that will ensure that any new mitigation procedures will be effective. We are all assuming that this wave of death will begin again on February 3rd. On July of 2022, in one of my meetings, I heard a one of your meetings, actually, I heard a medical administrator from Laguna Honda state that her primary objective was the recertification of Laguna Honda. Shouldn't the primary objective of the chief medical officer be the well-being of the patients under her care? I understand that the administrator has left her position, and it's unclear to me if she was replaced with a permanent CMO. I believe at a minimum, Dr. Chow, Dr. Green, and Director Colfax are medical professionals that have taken the Hippocratic Oath. So the moral and administrative authority is probably now with you. You are both health administrators and organizational administrators. I understand it is a difficult position. Nevertheless, I implore you to prioritize your roles as doctors on this matter. I do not authorize do not authorize the physicians at Laguna Honda Hospital Laguna Honda Hospital to release the patients in their care to be transferred in reaction to the CMS transfer and relocation program. You need to play hardball with the CMS and CDPH administrators on the matter of transfer and the relocation program. Thank you. All right. Thank you, callers, for for calling in and sharing your perspectives with us on this topic as well. Uh, commissioners, do we have any comments or questions? And perhaps I'll start with a few um, for Director Pickens, because I just want to make sure that my understanding of <clears throat> some of the issues is correct. Um, this all, of course, started with the self-reporting of re re reversed overdoses. Uh, sometime last year, like last summer, and in the fall, that's when we were placed in. That's when Laguna Honda was placed in immediate jeopardy, and the root cause analysis that was received and that has now been responded to really reflected a snapshot of time between the fall of 2021 and the summer of 2022, and does not reflect all of the improvement work that has been accomplished 
during that period, during say the you know the last eight months. For those of us who have been to Laguna Honda and spent time there, we've seen a lot of this progress. We've seen all the training modules that the staff has gone through. We've seen the way that the staff now does you know daily and many times per day huddles and huddle boards and looks at the the, the care that everyone's receiving, the policy and procedure improvements that have been put into place, and the structural and personnel changes as well. Um, you know, I really want to thank Commissioner Chow for conveying Commissioner Guillermo's words and perspective about how we are not waiting at Laguna Honda to be getting the feedback or approval or other things from these for these plans. We know these plans are solid. They've been submitted. I don't know if there's an expectation that we're going to see any requested changes, but it, it seems that might not be the case. But the work is happening. So um, is, is that all correct? I want to make sure that I have it right. particularly the fact that uh, our root cause analysis does not reflect uh, the improvements that have been made uh, since uh, April of this year. It truly <coughs> is the root cause analysis, as root cause analysis are by, by definition a retrospective look at circumstances that led to a particular action. In this case, the action was the decertification that occurred in April. And so the retrospective look was two years prior to April. Mm -hmm. And so again, does not reflect much of the work, the dashboards, the training, the 6,000 um, uh, observations per week that we are doing to make sure that the institution is in regulatory compliance. That RCA and action plan do not reflect any of those. Great, thank you. Um, and then just with regard to the timeline as well and the 90-day surveys and, and you know, looking at the chart, which was very helpful, but those 90-day surveys won't necessarily happen if recertification is achieved, correct? So we've had one 90-day sur survey in an interval of about 90 days. We may expect another one, but if at that time recertification is achieved, we wouldn't see what was reflected in that chart as a later 90-day survey, correct? You are correct. Those 90-day surveys uh, occur uh, up and until the point of recertification. So, correct, if we were to um, uh, submit and become recertified prior to any of the subsequent surveys, those surveys uh, would be deemed moot and would not occur because we would have received uh, certification. Thank you, and I, I just want to again thank you and thank Director Colfax. It's really critical that uh, you know both the department and Laguna Honda have made the appeal to CMS that the transfers not resume. I think we're all in agreement that um, that they were unnecessary and and really brought about a tragic result. Um, so thank you for sharing that, and uh, also uh, you know want to underscore the urgency in ensuring that we learn. Um, that decision soon from CMS. Uh, commissioners, do we have any other comments or questions for Director Pickens? Commissioner Chow has his hand up. Commissioner Chow. Yes, uh, thank you. Can, uh, can you hear me now? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, thank you. Um, I, I, I thought, Mr. Pickens, that the uh, Lagoon Honda Path uh, chart that you gave was uh, a very helpful as an overview. And I remember that when we were doing the mock survey, of course, uh, we've seen a great deal of detail, but one of the uh, real helpful, uh, uh, I, I, I guess, uh, 
timelines uh, that you were giving us and the progress that was being made through the uh, numerous points that uh, that mock survey had helped uh, uh, illuminate uh, was very helpful. I'm wondering if uh, we're going to do something similar with the RCA by sort of uh, parsing out some of the important areas of the RCA and, and then uh, um, I'm not sure that they're related to weights as uh, they were in the past, but some means in which we can uh, follow the progress. We know a lot of uh, everyday work is being done which has brought about uh, a uh, even greater uh, you know, level of care to the community uh, and, and, and even more is coming which will be uh, helpful in, I guess, under phase three, as we will be seeing in the new policies and procedures that we're going to be looking at, uh, will bring about even um, uh, a uh, greater appreciation on the part of the residents of, uh, of uh, Laguna Honda as their home. But I'm, I'm just wondering from, from a standpoint, as we get all this information, and we've been getting uh, a lot of the information, of course, that uh, you have been uh, giving us, if we could set them into some sort of a time frame that uh, we, we, we know we can't predict when recertification can come, but we can certainly look at how you're making progress on these new milestones. Yes, so thank you for that question, uh, Commissioner Chow, and you must have been a fly on the wall in some of our earlier meetings today where we actually had this very discussion about how are we going to uh, monitor now our new um, roadmap, which is the action plan. So we are going to replicate uh, those dashboards that we previously produced, like for the mock survey and that we shared with the JCC and the commission. Uh, we will be reviewing uh, our first draft mock-up of those revised key performance indicators tomorrow with uh, Director Colfax and staff. So, you know, it's our desire to uh, hopefully finalize uh, a, a new set of key performance indicators for the um, uh, action plan and recertification efforts and begin to uh, reproduce that same report that we previously supplied. Uh, our goal would be uh, hopefully uh, to finalize the report this week and um, tweak it and then begin to uh, distribute um, probably sometime late next week or the following week. But to basically keep that similar format that you've seen, you know, the various uh, uh, levels of tags, A, B, C, D, E, F, uh, a, um, a uh, aggregate score of how those tags uh, add up to CMS deficiency points, and then to be able to show uh, how we're making progress completing milestones of the action plan, uh, and then seeing that CMS uh, aggregate score then uh, decrease and hopefully get to zero, which would mean we had um, uh, successively uh, corrected all of those um, uh, action plans and, and deficiencies noted in the root cause analysis. Thank you. And, and I think just to reemphasize, if uh, others had seen that we were uh, in the past talking about a second mock survey and all, this actually replaces it and becomes the action plan and essentially one that CMS has approved. Is that? Uh, is that a correct understanding? Yes, that is correct. The root cause analysis and action plan essentially uh, became the second mock survey and is now the gold standard by which CMS will uh, gauge uh, our progress. 
Great, and, and and we're hoping. I I know you've emphasized that, and we've all said that uh, we would be opposed to transfers. That uh, we're going to uh, get some sort of response and be able to respond if it's unfavorable. Oh, absolutely correct. Um, uh, yes, that is uh, our number one pursuit at this time uh, is to um, do all we can to make sure that that pause uh, continues so that we can really focus uh, on recertification uh, and that no uh, additional residents um, uh, will have to uh, be transferred to other skilled nursing facilities. Uh, so thank you very much. Uh, uh, let me see if other hands are up. Uh, Commissioner Green uh, has her hand up. Vice President Green. Yes, well, first of all, thank you for the presentation. And I think a testament to how committed everyone in this department and at Laguna uh, are to the thriving and surviving of Laguna Honda is the amount of work that's gone into this the policies, um, which are the size of a phone book, but very well done and very explicit and really, I think, well thought out. Um, the hours, and I, I want to say I, I'm so impressed that people work through all the holidays in order to meet deadlines and to get the um, action plan in place. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, it's, it's really dispiriting to recognize that you know, bureaucracy, there's a spectrum between bureaucracy and reality. What we've done at Laguna Conda, the complexity of the people we take care of on the one hand, and the love and the quality of care. As I talk to Laguna residents, it, it's so impressive. And then on the other hand, you have a bureaucracy that is partly in Washington, partly in Sacramento, that really doesn't know the details of what goes on in our institution and the complexity of dealing with the number of individuals we have with, with so many problems. And, you know, in, in my own observation, a, a lot of their criticism has more to do, and this is unfortunately a problem in medicine in general. It's not what you've done for people, it's what's on paper. And I think we've gone from the eye patient to the eye patient, and I think, you know, it, it, it's it's a problem that we face. So I fear that a lot of what's been written um, in terms of reports um, doesn't reflect real uh, quality and compassion. It reflects um, kind of dispassionate, detached words. So, so you know, I'm, I'm uh, curious for, for a few answers. One would be, um, you know, when, when this whole, um, and let me ask just two questions. When this whole thing started with CMS and they basically demanded that we transfer residents and we submitted data. I remember once, and I, I may be off by a few of the numbers, but there were like 1,017 SNF beds in the state of California, two of which accepted Medi-Cal, Medi I think 15 accepted Medicare, and we submitted this and it fell on deaf ears. Um, the, the reports, you know, as I read through the transfer reports and I went through quite a few and it's, it's horrid what happened to these individuals. I also recognized that I wondered if they had been at some of SNFs around the country um, with the multiple complex problems they had, including their age and their their um, you know, strokes and all, whether they had, would have even you know been there to transfer. Um, so I think it reflects the the quality of the care we've we've given. But I'm wondering, um, first of all, whether um, uh, what has happened, whether you have any read on whether what has happened has had any impact on um, 
uh, on CMS and their decision regarding closure and then the or transfer, I should say. And then the second um, would be, um, I know we don't have the reaction to the root cause analysis, but do you have any sense for whether there will be major changes? Um, you know, one of the things that struck me about some of the reports we got was it, it went from things that were really important to things that were like, like you know, linen carts and a crack in the ceiling. In other words, there there were some things that, that you know, you felt like in an effort to boil the ocean here, um, we were going to miss the really critical things we, we need to focus on in terms of quality of care. Um, you know, it, it it seemed almost too detailed. So I'm wondering if you, if you can just answer you know, the question about whether um, what has gone on and these tragic losses has had any impact on bureaucratic thinking, and then whether you have any sense for whether the action plan um, will be more uh, issues that we haven't already been begun to work on or whether just it's, it's, it's fine-tuning what we already know. So thank you for that question. Um, I, I would say it's, it's been a, 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 a rocky and difficult journey since the decertification in April of 2022. Um, uh, again, you you highlighted how uh, we, when we submitted the original um, closure and transfer plan as we were required, that we said, based upon our assessment of the complexity of our patients, our residents at Laguna, uh, uh, the circumstance of uh, uh, bed availability within San Francisco of the community that uh, in order to do the process uh, in a just, fair, and appropriate manner, it would take us 18 months to actually effect a discharge of our transfer plan. Uh, as you know, that 18-month proposal was rejected, uh, and we were um, uh, subjected to only a four-month uh, process, which we initiated and then had the pause as a result of the settlement agreement. Uh, so very much, I think, um, the communication and relationship with both CMS and California Department of Public Health uh, started off very rocky, uh, but I will say that particularly as of late, uh, I think because they have gotten to know us, us meeting Laguna Honda, uh, they have now become more familiar with uh, a lot of the work that we're doing because they approved the quality improvement expert, and now they have, and they've also uh, um, embedded their own CMS monitor on site. So now they know Laguna better. And I think because of that, uh, I have noticed, I think, a greater appreciation now for the work that, and the care that's actually going on. And so, uh, and particularly as of late, I have seen, I think, a, a, a better recognition of this is not just a bureaucracy, that these are people's lives, a lot of people's lives, you know, 500 plus now, usually 700 plus uh, residents. And so uh, I do see that recognition uh, both by CMS and CDPH as of late. Uh, and uh, I think they're, uh, they, and, and they have shown their ability to work with us and, 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 and give flexibility as of late when we've requested. The kind of flexibility we didn't see early on, we are seeing it now in partnership and collaboration. So I am very much encouraged uh, and, um, uh, and, and I am very hopeful that we will get uh, the response that we're requesting, particularly in terms of 
uh, the request to have the pause extended. Again, uh, I work for DPH, I don't work for CMS, I can't speak for them, but uh, I do know the, the, the communications we've had with them, the, the case that we've made for as to why that pause should legitimately be extended, and I think it's a strong case, and I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, uh, they will see it that way and, and grant it. Uh, you had a, there was another part of your question. Um, oh, just um, whether you had any sense of the action plan and whether there are going to be um, significant additional um, issues we have to approach or whether there'll be modifications of things we've already worked on. In other words, you, we have put so many resources in this department to making sure that we are recertified and that we are the best SNF in the country, which I thought we were to begin with. But, you know, I'm wondering if, if um, you know, you have any sense of whether, the, the, I guess the volume of new work that might be necessary based on the response to the action plan versus um, simply building on the excellent work that's already been done. So my, my sense is that uh, there will not, there sh would not, and probably should not be uh, net new, a lot of new work for a couple of reasons. Number one, the action plan uh, really reflects uh, all of the improvement, much of the improvement work we started back in May uh, uh, that continued through the first mock survey uh, and the, you know, the, we had over 200 milestones associated with that first, first mock survey. And so uh, all, everything um, in that action plan really builds upon that and actually incorporates some of the changes uh, and improvements that we uh, actually um, had already either put in place or had begun to put in place. So uh, my, my sense is, uh, and again, because we're fortunate that the quality improvement expert is also a group that's been working with us from the very beginning that um, uh, they were able to um, uh, incorporate, again, a lot of the work that they had already uh, helped give us guidance on in terms of how we could improve uh, operations at Laguna into the action plan. So um, even uh, if there are comments, I don't think it'll be a complete rewrite. I think it'll just be making some tweaks uh, around the edges. That would be my uh, sense. Great. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you, Vice President Green. Thank you, Director Pickens. Are there any other hands raised? Other hands. All right. Seeing no other hands raised. Thank you, Director Pickens. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Thank you, Director Pickens, uh, for that report. And we'll look forward to uh, seeing you again soon and learning about some of the very important, outstanding questions that we have. All right, so our next item is an action item, and it's the Laguna Honda Hospital and Rehabilitation Center uh, policies. Uh, they are voluminous for sure, and I want to thank all of the commissioners for reviewing them in depth and providing uh, questions and comments to staff in advance of this meeting so they can be addressed proactively during the presentation. Um, and for this, we will go back to Director Pickens. Thank you very much, uh, Commissioner Bernal. Um, so uh, as you've all pointed out, uh, there, there are volumes of policies and procedures that were presented at the last uh, Laguna Honda Joint Conference Committee. Uh, those are now before you uh, as the full health commission. Um, I know that uh, several questions were submitted uh, in advance by commissioners related to the policies, and I'll try and address uh, some of the answers or responses to those questions. 
uh, and, and uh, please uh, let, let me know if you need additional. So one of the, uh, of the many policies deals with uh, uh, patient or resident restraints. And so there was a request that we uh, further explain the spectrum of resident restraints in the context of the policy uh, revisions. And, and so uh, resident restraints um, were one of the major focuses of the new phase three guidelines um, published by uh, CMS. Uh, these uh, recent guidelines uh, have significantly expanded the definition of restraint uh, for anything that uh, precludes a resident's independent uh, movement. Uh, so for example, that includes things like a, a bed alarm where you know, there's an alarm on the bed so that staff are, 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 are notified if a resident tries to uh, get up or to you know, go to the restroom or something else. Well, that may not sound like a restraint, but in the CMS definition, it is. Uh, uh, chair alarms, similarly, you know, we're always, particularly in the skilled nursing realm, concerned with uh, residents falling. And so these things, um, uh, chair alarms, are the bedside rails on the bed that uh, uh, prohibit a resident from falling out. Well, that's considered a restraint if the resident can't move that uh, rail up and down by his or herself. So we had to revise Laguna policies to include this new expanded definition of restraints. Uh, and then we've had to re-educate our staff. The CMS, uh, the new rules really encourage skilled nursing facilities to go to, to become restraint free. Again, having the least restriction uh, uh, of an individual. So as you can imagine, that presents a challenge when you also are trying to safeguard residents from having um, uh, inadvertent falls and other injuries. And so that represents kind of the spectrum of restraints that we've had to expand that spectrum and have actually brought in additional resources uh, to uh, help define then how we meet the, this new definition of restraints. Uh, another question had to do with the explanation of, um, oh, it appeared that there might be some conflict in admissions policies related to individuals with uh, behavioral health, mental health and substance use disorders. Again, the new phase three regulations uh, really changed the landscape for skilled nursing facilities regarding behavioral health. Uh, those new regulations actually uh, hold two things to be true at the same time. They hold that you cannot discriminate from individuals with uh, mental health and substance use disorders when it comes to admission, and you cannot use that solely as a basis for discharging of an individual. At the same time, those regulations say that um, you must provide appropriate mental health and substance use services within the skilled nursing facility, and that if you have individuals um, who despite having gone through multiple interventions, care planning, documentation, who are, are, are unable to uh, really control themselves uh, and not present themselves as a danger to other residents or the institution, uh, there is also then an obligation uh, to pursue trying to find uh, alternative placements for those individuals. So the new phase three, again, holds two Two, two, two items 
uh, at the same time that may appear to be in conflict, but they try and balance individual and institutional rights. Uh, there was another question oh, about, um, you know, given the volume of, of policies that are coming before you, um, how many of those were related to the new phase three requirements? Uh, and of those uh, uh, hundreds of pages of uh, policies that you have, almost half of them, 44%, are related to the new CMS phase three requirements. So that meant uh, not only did we have to revise existing policies, we also had to create some new policies in order to meet uh, these requirements. There was a question about uh, what were the sources used to develop and or uh, amend these policies? Um, uh, and the response is um, that for phase three regulations, the new uh, California Department of Public Health State Operations Manual for long-term care from CMS was used as a source for developing those new policies uh, and revising the old ones. Uh, most policies are based on regulations from CMS and CDPH. Uh, however, when Laguna needs to make a new policy, we try not to reinvent the wheel and we'll look to outside organizations, other skilled nursing facilities, uh, the Skilled Nursing Professional Association, which is California Association of Health Facilities, uh, and other institutions like um, uh, um, uh, uh, ZSFG, who also operates a SNF. So uh, we try to go straight to the regulatory body itself as the source, but then we'll also look at other, other um, institutions or organizations for assistance. Uh, there was a question, uh, are policies kept on the staff intranet, uh, uh, or how do staff know about policies? So there is a Laguna Honda intranet that has pertinent information for staff, and it does provide a keyword search function uh, in the policy so that staff, uh, because we have hundreds of policies, they don't, may not need to know the exact policy, but they can do a keyword search and hopefully find the policy that they're looking for. That was another question as to how do we um, explain to new staff and or registry temporary staff uh, how are they trained on, that, on the volume of policies that we have? And so new staff, uh, be they uh, uh, new to the organization or registry staff, uh, have the same expectation as our uh, regular or permanent staff. Um, um, they are provided education on policies during the onboarding and orientation process. Uh, they are also directed to the Laguna Honda intranet uh, as to where they will find uh, specific policies. Uh, and uh, the Laguna Honda Department of Education and Training uh, works closely with our quality department so that, that when new regulations come out that the appropriate policies are then uh, revised and reflected, uh, that the training for those policies is then updated and that they eventually make their way to the Health Commission for review and approval. Uh, there was another question uh, as to um, oh, the nursing, the resident call system, that's a little button you push when residents uh, are, are need something. There was a question as to uh, clarify whether this applies to the acute unit. And the, and the answer is yes. Uh, the resident call system is throughout the institution. 
both in skilled nursing and in the uh, acute unit. Uh, there were questions about um, uh, particularly training related to cultural competence and uh, trauma-informed uh, care. And it's important to note that um, um, it is an, a requirement at Laguna that all staff, regardless of your position, be you a direct care provider or a support service worker like the facilities and environmental um, staff or, or an administrator like myself, we all have to take the uh, required trainings in cultural competence uh, and also in trauma-informed care. So that is a requirement for uh, all staff, not just direct care providers. Uh, there was a question about the policy on effective communication uh, for a resident who is deaf. Uh, and uh, for our residents who uh, are deaf, we do provide um, uh, American uh, Sign Language or the appropriate uh, sign language um, uh, um, assistance that they need, either through the video uh, in interpretation or through an in-person, if that's even required. And um, there were, there was a question about, um, uh, okay, I think we talked about physical restraints and trauma-informed care. Uh, so please let me know if I didn't cover some of the questions. I, I tried to cover as many as I could, but if there are any additional ones, uh, please let me know and I'll try to answer. Thank you, Director Pickens. Secretary Moritz, do you have public comment? Folks on the line, we're on item five, Laguna Honda Hospital and Rehabilitation Center policies. If you'd like to make comment, please press star three. I see one hand and I will unmute that person. Hi, caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. I am. It's Patrick Manetshaw. Okay, you've got three minutes. Thank you. Notably missing from these policies is nursing policy D.1.0, the restorative care nursing program that has been of keen interest to CMS and the U.S. Department of Justice for years. Why isn't D.1.0 on restorative nursing included? today. Also, Laguna Honda's discharge policy, planning policy isn't included, which is a grave mistake. Narrative in the 12 Class C citations CDP issued against Laguna Honda on December 20th imposing $36,000 in fines and involved 12 patients deaths um, had uh, included in the citation narrative that the definitions of transfer and quote-unquote discharge in the discharge planning policy wasn't clear to Laguna Honda staff completing pre-discharge facing assessments. And the policy didn't indicate, quote, not discharge ready, end quote, meant discharge to the community or lower level of care, not discharge to another skilled nursing facility. That discharge policy cries out for being updated. Laguna Honda must have known the phase three nursing home regulations went into effect in November of 2019. So the 
to the extent Mr. Pickens claimed 46% of those policies before you tonight are related to phase three uh, regulation changes. Uh, I have to note, Mukunahana has had three years since November 29th to develop and update these policies and procedures, and you should have been doing so all along. Why weren't the restorative nursing and discharge planning policies included today? When are they going to be um, uh, brought before the commission? Before the discharges resume on November 2nd? It's not going to be possible because you don't have another meeting. I'm sorry, before February 2nd. That's not going to be possible because you don't have another health commission meeting before those discharges may resume. Thank you. That was the only hand. All right. Commissioners, again, I know that you've had an opportunity to review all the policies, and thank you again for submitting your questions in advance. Are there any additional questions or comments for Director Pickens on this item before we move to action? Any hands raised? I don't see hands. No hands. All right. In that case, we... A, a roll call? Yes, please. Uh, I'll start with you, Commissioner Bernal. Yes. Commissioner Green? Yes. Commissioner Gerardo? Yes. Commissioner Chow? Yes. Uh, did, did we actually move the... Uh, oh, we did not. <laughs> Thank you, Commissioner Chow. Job, uh, Do we have a motion to approve? I would so move, please. I second. All right. I, I'm going to start again because <laughs> that was an incorrect action. I apologize to everyone. Uh, Commissioner Chow? Yes. Commissioner Gerardo? Yes. Commissioner Chung? Yes. Commissioner Green? Yes. And Commissioner Bernal? As before, I. All right, thank you. <laughs> uh, so uh, that action has approved the policies. Thank you again all the, to all the Laguna Honda staff for the work put into that. Yes, and I want to echo that as well. Thank you, uh, Director Pickens, for you and everyone. Uh, this is an enormous undertaking and um, had a lot of inputs into the process as well. So thank you for, for everyone's excellent work, and please convey the gratitude of the commission. Oh, yes, uh, Director Colfax. Thank you, President Bernal, and I just want to thank the Health Commission for their support and acknowledge uh, Acting CEO Willem Pickens and his team who have been working under severe circumstances and just to um, emphasize that uh, while their focus um, includes responding to the requirements of CMS and the state and ensuring that uh, we are meeting the requirements of the settlement agreement, that the primary focus is on caring for the residents of Laguna Honda and their families, and that every time I've been over there it is very clear um, from across the organization, no matter where people sit in the organization, that patient care comes first, and I just want to applaud Mr. Pickens for ensuring that that is uh, the focus uh, at, at the hospital, and, uh, and, 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 and that that will continue to be the focus in addition to meeting these uh, regulatory requirements in order to ensure that Laguna Honda gets recertified. Thank you, Director Colfax. Um, we will move on to our next item for this. It is the FY2324 and FY2425 DPH budget proposal. This is a discussion item, and for the presentation, we have Jenny Louie, who's the DPH Chief Financial Officer. 
Welcome, Ms. Louie. Thank you, commissioners. Um, yeah, yeah, just be close to it, please. Okay, got it. Um, through the chair, Jenny Louie, Chief Financial Officer, I'm pleased um, to be here to present uh, our, our first hearing on our proposed budget for fiscal year 20 through 24 and 24 25. I do also just want to note that I'm joined by in chambers um, by Ms. Emily Gibbs, who is our new deputy finance officer, um, backfilling my former position um, over budget and planning. And I look forward to working with her as well as Mr. James Alexander, who's on the line, um, our budget director, over the next several months um, to develop the budget um, for this upcoming fiscal year. Um, in terms of what we'll go over today, next slide, please. Oh, no, it's uh, um, Kenyon. Just speak in the microphone because I'm not the one doing it. Kenyon. Okay, got it. Um, I'm going to provide an overview of the DPH base budget, um, which uh, includes a view of, of the breakout for divisions as well as projected uh, salary spending. I want to review the five-year financial projection for the city as well as the mayor's budget instructions, as um, then discuss the goals and areas of focus um, for 23-24-25. This will give us the context um, for our approach and budgeting and next steps um, in the following meeting. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, and then the slide after that. Uh, all right, so overall, um, DPH's approved budget um, in the base that was approved as part of last fiscal year's budget is uh, $3 billion. Um, this a slide breaks it out by division where you see um, San Francisco General Hospital is of about $1.2 billion. Behavioral Health Services is about half of that, the second largest division, um, pushing $600 million, uh, followed by Public Health Administration, um, uh, about which is our central operations at about I'm sorry uh, about 188 million population health um, services at 189 million primary care uh, 123 million um, network services is 366 million but I will also note that a portion of these budget expenditures include about 100 million of um, intergovernmental transfer matching payments um, and not actual expenditure authority. Uh, Laguna Honda Hospital at 336 million and jail health with 42 million and health at home at <coughs> 9.7 million. Next slide, please. Um, just looking at our budget by um, expenditure type overall, um, salaries and fringes represent the largest, um, over half of our expenditures at 1.5 billion, followed by non personnel services. And again, this represents a lot of our work with CBOs um, as well as um, uh, some of the. Uh, um, intergovernmental payments that I mentioned before. Materials and supplies for us, um, again, this is not pens and pencils, uh, but pharmaceuticals as well, and medical supplies for the department at 190 million. Um, some equipment, uh, 2 million, um, and facilities and maintenance and um, debt service around uh, 26.9 million, as well as interdepartmental worker work orders, uh, which is services from other departments, including uh, City Attorney and DPW, among others, um, at $160 million overall. Next slide, please. Um, in addition to our expenditures, I also want to do an overview of our revenue. Um, many commissioners have seen this before, but again, I'm quite proud of this slide. Um, as you know, um, our budget, uh, we leverage um, about 60 for 6, 60 or of our costs um, with revenues, which um, is sort of thinly layered and so we have general fund that sort of comes in as a subsidy but overall two-thirds of our expenditures we generate um, through our own revenue um, this general fund contribution has fairly been has been fairly consistent at being a, a third of our revenue um, and uh, for the base budget it's about um, 
basically about a billion dollars of general funds. So even though it is only a third of our budget, you know, when you're looking at a $3 billion budget, our general fund support is significant at $1 billion. And I will also note just overall um, in terms of the city, um, to give you a perspective of the city's overall budget, I believe the general overall general fund is about $7 billion, so approximately about 15% or about a seventh of the city's general fund support. Next slide, please. Um, as part of the administrative code requirements, um, I am reporting on our salary savings um, as part of our uh, hearings. Um, we have an operating budget, as I mentioned, of $1.5 billion for salary and fringes. Um, and as of our Q1 uh, projection, which I will present after this item, you'll see that oh, we are projecting about $18 million or 1% of savings um, in our first quarters. Um, the savings was really driven by hiring delay for new positions and it assumes increased hiring in the second half of the year. And efforts to um, hire the new budgeted positions as well as retaining and recruiting and retaining for our existing staff will have an impact on these figures at year end. Um, in addition, as you know, um, we will be providing regular financial reports to the Health Commission every quarter and we will continue to update those projections over time. Next slide, please. And then, um, so moving on to the mayor's um, financial projections and budget instructions. Next slide. Overall, just big picture in terms of summary, what we are seeing is a weakening, weakening financial forecast as a result um, of deficit across the five years. There's basically slow or no growth in major local revenues um, with loss of, uh, of federal revenues. There's also in increased costs in the form of higher wages as well as um, increased um, personal costs for health benefits and pension, as well as a new set aside uh, for schools. Uh, there's significant risks and uncertainties that can alter this. Um, and so as a result, um, all city departments are, have been instructed to provide a general fund reduction of 5% in 23 4 and 8% in 24-25. For DPH, this results in about 50 million in the first year and 80 million in the second year. I know that Commissioner Chow has also done the calculation in terms of percentage for um, our overall budget. And so if you look at 50 million uh, as it relates to a $3 billion budget, it's about 1.5% in the first year um, and uh, grows to about 2.5 um, in the second year. Overall, it's just a percentage uh, reduction in our expenditure budget. Next slide, please. And so um, this table represents um, the projections of the shortfalls expected with um, 29.2 million of loss um, of revenues in the city overall um, and then increased use costs of 171.6 um, million, which results in a $200 million deficit in the first year. In the second year of the proposed budget, uh, the revenues uh, are projected to drop by an additional 24.7 um, and then um, and the budgeted uh, cost, the projected cost increases increased to 502 million, um, resulting in 527 million shortfall projected in the second year. This is um, how uh, the, the overall two-year deficit is calculated at 728 million for the entire city. Next slide. Uh, so um, part of the risks and uncertainties is really understanding the pace of uh, the economic recovery and um, the potential for increasing office vacancies. We also have um, significantly high impact in interest rates. Um, 
that we're that the controller's office monitoring. Um, there's also continued cutbacks in the tech sector and other local industries. I will note that this um, projection uh, uh, developed by the mayor and controller's office was done around November and was concurrent with a lot of the news regarding major tech um, uh, uh, downsizing. And um, it'd be interesting to see how that impacts future uh, projections as it's developed. Um, in addition, uh, there could be a, a, the state budget shortfall and risks to um, the educational, uh, I forget, forget what ERAF stands for, um, but basically um, uh, in the ERAF funds from the state um, um, back to counties. Um, of course, there is a potential risk for um, a recession in the economy, but that is not what is being projected now. Right now, what they're seeing is slowed growth um, and not an actual retraction in the, um, the revenue growth that we see. Next slide. So um, the mayor's priorities for this upcoming budget is recovery of the local economy, improving public safety and street conditions, um, reducing homelessness and transforming mental health service delivery, as well as accountability and equity in services and spending. These are the same um, priorities that she's had in prior years and they remain unchanged at this time. Next slide. So the budget instructions department, as I mentioned before, a five and 8% reduction target over the two-year budget. Um, in addition, uh, there's instruction to prioritize filling or reclassifying vacancies for core departmental functions um, with the option of proposing remaining vacancies for budget savings um, and maintain the mayoral initiatives and recommend ways to fund more efficiently um, and also to prepare uh, for the potential for this outlook to worsen. Next slide, please. Um, so with that, in terms of DPH's goals and areas of focus over the two-year budget, uh, next slide. There are six areas um, uh, that I think we're continuing to focus on. It's really around financial stewardship, leveraging revenues, including CalAIM, uh, continuing treatment um, in and revisioning of behavioral health services, uh, strengthening operations to improve service delivery and workforce and health equity, uh, strengthening population health and transitioning our COVID-19 response into operations, recertification of Lugan Honda Hospital and sustaining long-term improvement, um, and improving access to data, which includes also expanding health records, electronic health records, um, as we continue our implementation. And I can, uh, next slide, please. I'll go into each of these areas in a little bit more detail. So um, under CalAIM, as you know, it's, um, a multi-year framework for really re-envisioning um, how um, Medi-Cal services um, can be uh, re-envisioned. Um, over the last year, uh, we've implemented three new benefits, basically um, additional revenue for services that were never previously covered. It includes enhanced care management, which was implemented just over a year ago, community supports, where we included medical respite and sobering center in the process of um, applying for some arise. This is a, uh, uh, this benefit became effective July 22. Um, and then um, the expansion of justice involved services. Uh, this became effective um, this month. In addition to just beyond creating actual um, ref uh, uh, new benefits, it also seeks to reform and restructure Medi-Cal payments. And the following two items, um, while in theory they should be revenue neutral, will have significant impacts um, as they shift um, the, the payment structure. Um, the first one is um, 
shifting the long-term care, what's called the long-term care carbon, where it shifts long-term care services, which is currently being supported by the state after the first um, 60 days um, to be shifted over to the health plan um, in terms of payments. In theory, the payment structure should stay the same, but the, um, but the payment is now being administered by health plans as opposed to the state. And so operationally, there is another a different organization that we have to work with. Um, again, similar processes, but again, uh, we've been collaborating closely with the health plan as they take over this function, um, similar to other counties. Um, so it will just take some effort to make sure that we're transitioning and collaborating with the health plan um, consistently. And no, should be no impact in revenue, but again, just for sort of represents um, some operational resources that we need to, to make sure that we're transitioning successfully. Um, in terms of uh, behavioral health payment reform, this is also a significant shift. Again, not meant to um, adjust revenues in any way necessarily, but um, it really takes um, the old way of billing in Avatar, uh, which is around um, service areas and minutes, and it shifts to um, CPT codes instead. This is sort of a fundamental shift um, in how, um, how providers are recording their services. Um, and so, and again, will requ require a lot of operational support. I know that they've provided in last year's budget um, some one-time funds to support uh, the implementation. This goes live, and again, there's um, significant financial risk if we don't um, implement this successfully. Um, but, and so the goal is to really make sure that um, there's no impact overall to our long-term revenues um, as we move forward with these transitions. Uh, next slide, please. Um, moving on to um, behavioral health services, and I do apologize. I think um, we were, um, I had some version control issues. I was trying to collapse um, some of the, um, the categories to um, shorten the presentation. Overall, we have about $98 million worth of behavioral health services as we invested as part of Mental Health SF underfunded by Prop C. Um, and the true amounts of the categories um, really is um, 36 million in additional bed capacity, 29.7 million in services in street and shelter, 7.8 million in targeted mental health services, um, and about 8 million in case management. <coughs> and um, 13 million overdose prevention. I will um, send Mr. Morowitz just an updated detailed summary. It's the same budget as before, um, and I apologize for the inconsistency in this slide. Um, next, next slide, please. In addition to um, Mental Health SF and the Prop C funds, we also um, projected expected increases in the Mental Health Services Act funding last year and we included $4 million for the needs of black African-American community and mental health support for birthing people who are black identified, $3 million to create an office of overdose response, um, and $12 million for one-time capital improvements. Uh, we also had other uh, behavioral health um, investments to strengthen services for people on involuntary holds, um, comprehensive services, utilization management, and as well as enhancement of, and coordination of our system of residential care. Next slide, please. Um, third, um, our, uh, our goal is to strengthen workforce and health equity. Uh, the uh, central operations has, um, uh, has 11.1 million and 56 FTE to really support business office and contracts development, human resources, the Office of Health Equity, Compliance and Privacy Affairs, and Security, um, and uh, we, these 
these operation, operating functions are critical to ensure timely and successful implementation of all of our programs, and we're working on implementing those initiatives now. <coughs> Slide, please. Um, fourth, population health and transitioning um, the COVID-19 response into operations. Um, the population health infrastructure, last year we um, invested over $6.8 million annually to bolster the infrastructure, including um, uh, our, our public health emergency preparedness and response branch based on lessons learned over the last three years of the pandemic. Um, in addition, uh, we will continue to step down our COVID response and our upcoming budget will outline plans for the ongoing 25 million of continuing services in DPH operations as well as public health uh, that, uh, or I'm sorry, network operations and public health that we, um, that we will be uh, planning and bringing forward at the, um, as part of our budget proposal. Next slide, please. Um, as uh, we've been discussing, recertification of Laguna Honda Hospital and supporting our patients um, will remain a top priority. Um, you know, as you as noted, we will continue to work on all the regulatory requirements to make the improvements ready for recertification. And also note that additional ongoing investments uh, will be necessary to determine the to ensure the long-term sustainability of the improvements um, that we are making at this time. Uh, next slide. And last but not least, um, we are continuing our epic journey. Uh, we will be implementing wave three over the two-year budget horizon. That, um, and so this represents the largest expansion of the epic EHR since we went live in August of 2019. Um, most significantly, we're looking at behavioral health services, um, bringing them on as well as partner agencies um, for mental health and substance use treatment as well as ancillary teams in terms of lab services, dialysis, and mammography. Um, in addition, there'll be new functionality to enhance patients' engagement with care, including um, text messaging, as well as online um, consent forms uh, to open the ability to capture with um, digital signatures. Uh, next slide, please. Um, and next slide. So with the context of given what we've seen in terms of budget instructions and the economic climate with a potential worsening of economic outlook, and then just sort of recognizing um, the significant investments um, that we have made over the last several years. Overall, um, our approach in developing our budget proposal over the next few weeks really is to focus on maximizing revenues to meet general fund reduction goals, as well as support long-term financial stewardship. Uh, we will leverage new revenue opportunities um, to expand or strengthen our services. Um, and our goal will be to maintain operations and service levels, including backfill um, grants and other revenue sources um, as necessary and appropriate. Um, but really the focus will be on the implementation of prior year initiatives and we will limit in new initiatives to maintain that focus. Um, and then next slide, please. And so in terms of next step, um, at the February 7th commission meeting, we'll be pr presenting a detailed balancing plan and we will request approval from the health commission to submit the proposed budget to the controller and the mayor's office. Um, if necessary, we will have additional hearings um, and our budget submission is due on February 21st. Um, and with that, I think that completes my conclusion, but I did receive some questions um, from commissioners I do wanna address. Um, let's see, the, from Commissioner Chow, 
um, in terms of our every effort to leverage revenues, um, he was wondering, um, we will not try not to have service level changes, um, including uh, uh, nonprofit contracts to carry new programs and EPIC conversion. Um, just as a reminder, um, our goal is to maintain the service levels that we do have. Um, and for the EPIC um, conversion, uh, as some commissioners will remember, we've, uh, we've funded a 10-year implementation project that we are still working through. We do have wave three budgeted, the costs associated with it. Of course, um, we will monitor um, the implementation of wave three to make sure that we are optimizing the program effectively, um, but uh, there would, should not be um, new, new, new investments required um, as of now for the wave three implementation. Um, and then um, uh, Commissioner Green asked about projections regarding the ongoing staffing and data uh, for continued Laguna Honda certification. I think this is an area that we would really be looking at. Um, and again, this is such a dynamic effort um, led by Mr. Pickens and his staff that it's something that we've been looking at for both budget and as well as the spring as we continue um, our recertification journey. Um, and then in terms of projections regarding governmental payments um, for clinical and hospitalization revenues, and will we adjust for inflation? Um, yes, uh, we will be definitely looking at just overall baseline revenue growth as we do every year, and we'll be adjusting that um, as part of our budget submission to you next week. Um, so with that said, I'm happy to entertain any other questions commissioners may have regarding um, our, our budget submission. Thank you, Ms. Louie. Welcome, Ms. Gibbs, and thanks to, to Mr. Alexander also. Uh, Secretary Moritz, do we have anyone on the comment line? We do. I'll remind the folks on the line that we are on item six, um, the fiscal year 23-24 and 24-25 budget proposal. Please press star three now if you'd like to make a comment. Again, I see one hand. I'll mute the caller, and then we'll go from there. Hi, caller. You're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Hi, I'm Patrick Manachoff. Thank you. A $3 billion budget. Wow. It wasn't long ago DGH had a $1 billion budget that San Franciscans thought was excessive then. Laguna Honda's fiscal year 21-22 um, operating budget through June 30-22 was $308.6 million. Now you're increasing Laguna Honda's budget to 336.6 million for fiscal year 23-24. That's a 28 million dollar increase across two short fiscal years. DCH's budget strategy claims to be including a focus on maximizing revenue to lessen the impact on the general fund. You should have been pushing for Laguna Honda's rapid recertification to resume federal CMS reimbursement, particularly lost Medi-Cal revenue. The first quarter report for the current fiscal year showed you'd already lost $23.9 million in Medi-Cal revenue shortfall. And more than likely, you will have lost an equal amount in the second quarter. As you head into the third quarter, 
when you head into the fiscal year 23-24 budget, a priority should be restoring, obtaining CMS reimbursement revenue. Budget slide 21 only stated regarding Laguna Honda, quote, additional investments will be necessary to ensure long-term sustainability for these improvements, end quote. Unfortunately, the, itemized, the investments aren't itemized. Does that mean capital project investments? If so, why weren't the capital projects itemized? Epic Wave 3 enhancements are long overdue. Epic should enhance advanced identification for clinicians of the upcoming dates when care plan assessments and other patient evaluations are coming due. So clinical staff could, can keep care plans updated timelier. I know when I was in Laguna Honda Hospital and we developed the Thank rehab you, services. Your time is up. All right, that's the only comment. All right, commissioners, any comments or questions for, for uh, Ms. Louie or her team? I don't see hands. Oh, uh, Commissioner Green. Vice President Green. Thank you, first of all, for all this incredible detail. And I may have misunderstood or I missed it, and I'm sorry if, if I'm just not understanding. Can you elaborate a little more about what this, um, what working through health plans and CPT codes actually could mean to our revenues? Um, you know, usually with managed medic, managed medical, a bolus of money goes to a health plan that they then dole out as they see fit. And I'm, is our health plan the San Francisco health plan? Or, you know, I saw where, where I'm confused, I think, is I saw a notice to the residents of Laguna Honda that said they could elect um, a health plan. And I didn't see anything that said, but make it San Francisco health plan. So I'm, I'm just wondering how that all comes together um, and what the implications might be or if you even can, can uh, say them now. And I, I may have completely misunderstood, but I'm, I'm wondering if you could elaborate on that. I'm happy to. We're also joined by actually Dr. Horton. Would you? Um, I know you've been sure. working on this issue. Yeah. Um, hi, everybody. I'm sorry I'm getting over laryngitis, so I hope you can hear me. Could you identify your title for the folks at home, please, Dr. Horton? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Clara Horton. I'm the uh, Chief Medical Officer of the San Francisco Health Network, and I'm currently acting CMO of Laguna Honda Hospital as well. So as such, I've actually been very involved with CalAIM and the CalAIM initiative, and then also in the role of CMO right now at Laguna Honda. I, it's helpful because I can be on site and help clarify things as Laguna Honda, um, as, as the long-term care population rolls into CalAIM. Um, CalAIM is a wide-reaching initiative, so the fact that the long-term care population is rolling into CalAIM um, may seem disconnected from some of the other activities that we're working on in CalAIM, but um, there's many different um, initiatives embedded within the CalAIM program. Uh, for, um, for all of our patients, and that includes our primary care patients as well, um, all of our patients who are seen by the network um, and by state regulation, uh, we are a two-plan town, which means that Anthem Blue Cross is one of our managed care plans and San Francisco Health Plan is the other one. Uh, in the network, we have 88% uh, of our patients are um, patients who have managed Medi-Cal are San Francisco Health Plan patients, 
and 12% are Anthem. Um, the state has a system by which they assign a managed care plan to, first of all, this, there's a system by which somebody who has managed Medi-Cal has the right to choose which plan they want. Um, and we've, we're very used to that process in, in primary care. If the person does not choose which plan, then the state assigns that person to a plan and they have a distribution system that's decided by a variety of things, including the, um, the, quali um, the, the quality scores of the health plan and the current capacity and market share in the particular county. Um, so that's really what has determined the 88% versus 12% SFHP versus Anthem um, distribution. Because the vast majority of our patients are um, both in managed uh, care, but also specifically in managed care with the health plan, um, we do tend to have a very close working relationship with the health plan, and we work on a lot of initiatives with them. And um, so that's probably why you hear us talk more about our 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 um, our, our work collaborating with the health plan. We have a good collaborative relationship with Anthem as well. And so one nice thing is we can work very closely with the health plan and kind of work out details of whatever system we're working on. And then often our Anthem partners are happy to use the same system with us. In terms of Laguna Honda, um, the, essentially the entire, um, all of our patients there are going to, um, are going to be affected by this long-term care carbon. Um, th that's so all 553 patients. Um, they have been receiving letters from the state um, telling them that they have managed care um, and telling them that they can, and I think Commissioner Green, you probably saw one of those letters and explaining to them that they can choose between the two health plans and that if they don't choose by February 1st, they'll be assigned to one. As you can imagine, these letters are kind of confusing to a lot of them because it's still Medi-Cal and a lot of us, you know, it would be confusing to a lot of us. So our social services team is, uh, when anybody asks, uh, is, is going around and checking in with residents of Laguna Honda in case they have questions about what this means and helping them if they need help in choosing a plan and explaining that if they don't want to make a choice, then they can wait until February 1st and, you know, receive their, their designation. Uh, so I hope that, I hope that answered the question. Uh, but we essentially are going to have all 553 residents of Laguna Honda be uh, be um, insured by managed Medi-Cal um, really starting now, but by February 1st, everyone will have transitioned into one of the two plans in town. So there's only two, which helps a great deal. And, right. and but it does like with Blue Cross, it, it adds another kind of administrative layer. So I'm wondering if you could elaborate on, on, you know, the CPT component of it and also um, you know, whether the compensation for care is uh, identical, whether it's the, our, our own city, you know, San Francisco Health Network or, or, or whether it's Blue Cross. I mean, is there a right. differential? Is it really standardized between the two? So for us, it doesn't yeah. really matter. It, yeah, that's a great question. Um, my understanding is that the state has built into the, well, first of all, we're the state that already so that's helpful because the you know that some of the um, snarls have been worked out already, um, and uh, now the, those of us who don't have it are moving into it via Calain. Um, so there's a lot of examples from other counties in the state about how this can work. Built into the Calain legislation is um, kind of a freezing of the current costs, so that I can't remember how much time it is for, but I thought it was three years, but I can look back with you on this. 
um, there's uh, uh, there's the managed care plans are supposed to reimburse us at at least cost of what of what the um, fee for service Medi-Cal has been reimbursing us in the past. Um, however, um, so um, so for for the immediate sense, uh, we are not concerned about loss of revenue. Of course, once we um, uh, get recertified, you know, hopefully that will be, uh, you know, a long-term Medi-Cal revenue source as well. Um, and uh, we are, we do have some concerns about um, will certain things like if somebody needs transportation to an outpatient visit at UCSF or at San Francisco General or somewhere else, uh, will we be restricted in terms of transportation companies we can use? Um, and so we're trying, that's why we're having a weekly meeting with the health plan to make sure that uh, nothing would, no authorizations would get in place that would actually delay care or, you know, cause any um, concern for, um, you know, ease of patient access to services that they currently have. We, um, the other good news, we, we're worried about the, uh, the formulary as well, um, but by, um, by the regulation, the managed care plans are required to accept the formulary that's currently on offer at the, at the skilled nursing facility. So we're not really anticipating a lot of problems, but we have all the right people meeting uh, frequently to, and we're going to, you know, see over the next three months and just hammer out any issues that we find. Well, thank you very much for that thorough yeah. answer. That makes it, a, uh, that clarifies it a great deal. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, Dr. Horton. I will also note that for Laguna Honda, there's no conversion to CPT codes. Um, um, I was referring to behavioral health payment reform, and which is currently billed from service by service modality and minutes to CPT codes, and so um, that's where the um, significant um, charting and claiming changes would be, and um, it, it, it represents a potential risk, and of course our goal is to be able to maintain the revenues, um, if not improve, um, through our charting and claiming during this transition. Thank you. Any other questions or comments from commissioners? I don't see hands. Let me just check. No hands. Okay. Seeing none, we will see this item again on the February 7th agenda as well. And our next item for discussion also with uh, Ms. Louie is DPH revenue and expenditure projection report first quarter of fiscal year 22-23. Just noting that this is the third time we've tried to have this discussion. It was uh, bumped twice from the Finance and Planning Committee, so the information's delayed because of the, th there wasn't room in the agenda, it turned out that those meetings ran over. So thank you, Ms. Louie, for your flexibility. And thank you for your patience and flexibility, and apologies for any uh, challenges that may have caused. Of course, no, I am pleased um, to be bringing this report um, to the commissioners this evening. Um, again, Jenny Louie, Chief Financial Officer. Uh, next slide, please. Um, and so, I'm sorry, I know this says uh, second quarter financials, this is the first quarter financials. Um, you know, we are projecting um, as of Q1 a deficit in the current year due to the reduced revenues um, at Laguna Honda due to the lower census as a result of pause in new admissions um, during the recertification process. Um, I will note that uh, figures in this report are preliminary and based on three months of actuals. I find first quarter projections to be the most challenging because you are only working with a little bit less than 25% of the data to try to project it over the course of the year. Um, and so um, we are doing our best guess in terms of where we think we will land overall at year end. Um, 
you know, but changes are likely again um, to these projections depending on the continued work on Lagoon Honda recertification um, and as well as um, hiring over for over 400 new FTE that was parted, uh, added as part of last year's budget process. Um, as well as um, any potential changes in COVID service levels um, due to unforeseen surges that were not assumed as part of the first quarter projections. Um, I've also um, remind the commissioners that our COVID response um, really only reflects the response costs and um, uh, not about any increased operating costs. Those um, op increased operating costs are reflected within the divisions of the network, which is a departure from the prior year where we sort of corralled, tried to corral all the overall impacts of COVID, but as we move forward, sort of normalize our operations in this, um, this post-COVID world, or, um, uh, we're, we're just more focusing on the, um, the focus costs and not so much on just continued operation costs. Um, and then one other change um, from prior years is that health at home expenditures, uh, given that the budget is about, it's just under 10 million, we've rolled it under um, the San Francisco Health Network division along with um, some smaller ambulatory care, um, just, for some, uh, just for some simplicity. Um, so next slide, please. So um, the first quarter summary overall, as I mentioned, we're projecting a $15.3 million deficit um, Overall, um, the, you know, 16.5 million of um, overall revenue shortfalls, uh, with uh, the most significant portion being um, related to um, uh, census at Laguna Honda, 23.9 million, um, with some um, increased above budget revenue projections at Zuckerberg and um, Behavioral Health Services. Um, on the expenditure side, right now we are projected to. Um, remain um, above budget with um, slight savings of about a million dollars um, with um, shortfalls at San Francisco General Laguna Honda hospitals offset by savings across all the other divisions. And so overall 15.3 million um, projected deficit uh, moving forward. Um, as commissioners may recall, we do have a management reserve that I'll discuss at the end that can help smooth um, uh, these fluctuations um, in, in the current year. So next slide, please. So going into um, the, um, the details, San Francisco um, General uh, is expecting a $5 million deficit. Uh, the revenue uh, is expected to be $4 million over budget um, uh, in total um, and not $33 million. Um, our expenditures um, overall um, is $9.1 million shortfall. Uh, with slight shortfall in salaries and benefits, um, 3.8 million in non-personnel services, which includes costs related to registry, um, and 5 million um, related to materials and supplies um, as uh, part of increased inflationary costs, as well as some additional COVID operating costs that were not accounted. So overall, um, the 4 million net, uh, net by the $9 million shortfall gets us to a $5 million deficit at, at Zuckerberg San Francisco General. Next slide, please. Um, Laguna Honda, as I mentioned, um, uh, 23.9 million due to reduced census since the beginning of the year. I will also note that um, this assumption, the uh, revenue assumption assumes that we will um, begin the recertification process um, and re be recertified um, through um, by the end of the spring. And so again, this uh, projection may um, vary depending on our overall um, recertification process goals. In terms of expenditures, um, there's 3.9 million 
in um, salary overages, as well as 7.5 million in non-personal costs, um, driven um, in part by the um, some of the additional costs related to recertification. Next slide, please. Uh, Behavioral Health Services is projecting an overall $13.2 million surplus. There's about uh, 6.8 of, of um, increased revenues projected, um, an offset by $3 million of salary savings as well as $3.8 million of non-personnel contract savings. Moving forward, we have seen um, similar uh, levels of contractual savings um, in the prior year. Uh, next slide, please. Primary care um, is expected to be um, essentially on budget, a, a small uh, projection of savings of a half a million. Next slide. Uh, jail health services, um, savings and salaries in fringe of 2.6 million, um, but it's um, offset by um, non-personnel services of 1.8, primarily um, due to the use of increased registry contract. Next slide, please. Health network, um, there's a slight revenue shortfall um, due to um, a reduction in healthy San Francisco participant fees of, of $2 million, offset by salary savings of 5.4, as well as um, $3 million of um, non-personnel savings um, related to, and I believe this is the, Oh, um, the deficit due to um, as-needed beds um, uh, related to uh, additional beds needed to support patient flow hospitals. Uh, next slide, please. Um, population health is projecting a $1.1 million shortfall in patient revenues. This is uh, related to, um, in part due to lower activity um, in environmental health as well as the adult immunization and travel clinic. We are also looking at the model for AITC um, and determining um, opportunities um, to look at uh, their revenue models as well as um, uh, lower than expected lab billing um, as we believe as a result of EPIC. Um, population health, NRIT, and finance teams are collaborating right now um, to really dig into the root cause of, of the revenues, but it's, it seems like a combination of, a mul of multiple um, some slight salary savings of 1.3 million um, and one-time savings related to uh, savings from the sugar sweetened beverage project. Uh, next slide, please. Um, public health admin, uh, $1.7 million in salary and benefits and all others uh, areas remaining on budget for now. And next slide, please. So um, with those adjustments, as I mentioned before, um, with the Q1 projection, we're expecting a $15.3 million shortfall. Um, as the commissioners know, we do have a management reserve based off of our two-year budgeted revenues of 5%. Uh, we started out the year with um, $123 million um, in this balance, and, um, and should the $5.3 million um, shortfall persist, uh, we would expect a, uh, I'm sorry, $15.3 million shortfall to exist to persist over the course of the year, we would um, uh, expect a, a, a similar withdrawal from it, leaving a balance of 108.5 million um, in the management reserve. Um, and then next slide, please. Um, in addition, um, our COVID response budget, um, 
overall, we're expecting um, a slight surplus in this project. This is as of Q1. Um, this 3.7 million is primarily driven by um, some closeout of prior year encumbrances as this is a continuing project. Um, we were able to roll over some expenditures and as we reconcile the payments from the prior years, we can close out some of those encumbrances um, and recognize a balance in the project. Next slide. Um, the most significant ones um, we really see is um, 2.5 million in savings of isolation and quarantine hotels. This is in part due to a shift of supporting the hotels with existing civil service staff instead of um, uh, a contracted service. Um, we have 1.5 million savings in the COVID disease response unit. Um, and then we're offset by $1.7 million shortfall. And the SIP hotel is due to extension of services in one location um, through the end of December, 2022. The projection at Q1 did assume baseline level of services and does not include any uh, services um, increases uh, related to revenue. Um, next slide. Um, that completes my presentation, the Q1 uh, financials. I will note that um, uh, the finance team is working on the Q2 um, financials, and I hope to um, complete them by the end of next month, and we'll be bringing them forward to the commission uh, for its uh, review. With that, I'm happy to answer any questions the commission may have. Thank you. It means we'll see a lot of you in February, which is great. Uh, Secretary Morowitz, do we have any public comment? Folks on the line, we're on item seven, the DPH revenue and expenditure projection report. Please press star three if you'd like to make public comment. No hands, oh, no hands, commissioners. Commissioners, any comments or questions? Uh, Commissioner Chow has his hand up. Commissioner Chow. Uh, uh, yes, uh, no, it, it, it's just an editorial comment that on uh, the PowerPoint when you had talked about JO services, you actually meant a surplus, as you have in the text, but it reads shortfall. My apologies for the oversight, Commissioner. I'm sorry, could you, did you not hear it? Um, I, I think he noted that I had a reverse, I had the incorrect title um, on. Could you um, repeat it, Dr. Cho? Yes, the, uh, there was an incorrect title under the jail PowerPoint slide that says shortfall when in fact, it, uh, as she said, it was a surplus. So yeah. I just thought if we were correcting the second quarter comment, you Thank could you. correct the shortfall comment, uh, title. And again, yeah, my apologies um, for that oversight as well. Thank you, noted Commissioner Chow. Other questions or comments? Any hands raised? No. Oh, no, I'm sorry, there's no hands. All right. Great, well, thank you again, and we'll see you uh, next month. Great, thank you, commissioners. Okay, our next item uh, is the approval of the minutes of the Health Commission meeting of January 3rd, 2023. Commissioners, you have these minutes before you. If there are no amendments or changes, do we have a motion to approve? I so move to approve. There a second? Second. Any public comment? Yes, there's a hand up. Um, first on the line, you've got three minutes. I'm going to unmute you. Please let us know that you're there, uh, caller. Yes, it's Patrick Manachar. All right, we're on item eight, the approval of the minutes. And you've got three minutes. 
Okay, the these uh, minutes report Commissioner Child thanked uh, Director of Public Health Colfax for presenting Colfax's Laguna Honda recertification strategy up the work to workflow org chart. The minutes report Child was pleased seeing infrastructure is in place to address all the complex processes underway to achieve recertification. Notably, neither Chow nor the other four commissioners present on January 3rd bothered to ask why Colfax's recertification strategy is being presented fully eight months after his three consultants were hired to rescue Laguna Honda last May. Shouldn't this strategy have been worked out at the time the consultants were hired? As well, neither Chow or the other four commissioners bothered asking about the capital projects on Dr. Colfax's org chart that are needed at Laguna Honda for recertification. Notably, uh, acting CEO Pickens asserted that the capital projects will help achieve more successful facility inspection surveys and help obtain recertification. This commission should release the list of Laguna Honda capital projects underway or planned that you've presumably seen, and you should release that list immediately. Members of the public and the Board of Supervisors deserve to see the list of capital projects and why each project is essential to gaining CMS recertification. Thank you. All right, let's move to a roll call vote. Uh, could I uh, just ask, uh, however, because I didn't get a chance to uh, put this in my comment, uh, I just wanted to be sure, uh, is that a typo under the uh, director's report MPX update that says the total cases are, are of November 5th? Uh, sir, I don't have the that's on page four. I'll trust you that, that's, um, that, that that is the error. I apologize. So would you like to make that amendment? Uh, just make the right date. I don't know. I, I can't remember what the uh, presentation was. Uh, exactly, but if you just find the right date, that's all we need to do. It's an error on the slide. Um, Secretary Mars, I believe, if I recall correctly, um, Grant Colfax, Director of Health, there was an error on the slide that may have had the date of November 5th, and I believe the cases had been updated to a, to a, to a different date. Um, and I recall during the presentation saying that that would be corrected. So we can make sure we get the date of, that was reflected in this. As I recall, and we should double check this, the slide that I presented on number of cases to the Health Commission two weeks ago had November 5th as the date of the cases, and I believe that slide had not been updated with the correct date, I believe, but we should double check this, that the cases that I showed on the slide were actually from more recent than November 5th. It just hadn't been updated, and we can work together to make sure that is corrected appropriately. Yes, I will validate that. Thank you. 
Thank you, Director Colfax. Is that amendment acceptable to those who both moved and seconded, seconded the approval? Yes. All right. Have we had a motion? I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. Uh, do a roll call vote. Um, Commissioner Chow? Yes. Commissioner Chung? Yes. Commissioner Green? Yes. Commissioner Gerardo? Yes. Commissioner Bernal? Yes. Thank you very much. Our next item is the director's report. For this, we have uh, Dr. Grant Colfax, Director of Health. Good afternoon, commissioners. Pleased to present the director's report. I will go through some of the pieces um, in detail. One, I and, and the COVID update will come later, so we don't need that slide quite yet. But just with regard to the director's report, that uh, copy of which is in front of you. I did want to call the commission's attention to the SF City option update. And you, you will recall that the Department of Public Health through its third party vendor, the San Francisco Health Plan, known as SF HIP, is in the process of notifying 400,000 employees and 4,000 employers of a new city policy regarding the unused funds in the San Francisco City option, SF City option program. Last year, the Health Commission passed a new policy in compliance with state laws to address the compounding inactive program funds since the program inception. The new policy, which is governed by the California Government Code sections 550-ETSQ, is to permanently close any SF medical reimbursement account, MURA, that has been inactive for three consecutive years. Any account that has not been activated by March of 2026 is subject to be permanently closed and funds within will be absorbed into the city's general fund. SF City Option was created under the Healthcare Security Ordinance in 2008. Employers can choose to comply with the Healthcare Security Ordinance through the SF City Option. The program provides an MRA account for the workers of the participating employers. Employees can access the funds in MRAs by completing registration and then submitting receipts for a wide range of health and wellness expenses for themselves and their families. The funds will never expire if the account is kept active. The city has never permanently closed any account since the program began in 2008, and over time, unused funds have accumulated in employee accounts. It is the city's goal to encourage people to open their MRA account and to use the funds and make them aware that SFHIP will start tracking activity in MRAs beginning March 1st of 2023. Starting in April of 2026, any account that is found to be inactive for three consecutive years will be permanently closed. Prior to launching the mass notification effort to 400,000 employees and 4,000 employers, DPH conducted outreach to city and community partners to make them aware of this new policy and prepare them for questions from SF HIP stakeholders. SF HIP will also be posting frequently asked questions for employees and employers at the SF City Option website. I also wanted to call the Commission's attention to the next item that Chinatown Public Health Center seismic upgrade and modernization project. The Chinatown Public Health Center is in the planning phase of a major seismic upgrade 
and modernization project. The DPH Capital team is currently working with Public Works, the Arts Commission, and others to educate the community about the project. The project includes a full seismic upgrade for earthquake safety, a full remodel of interior spaces that will increase the number of exam and consultation rooms, expand capacity of the dental clinic, make the health center more accessible for people with disabilities, and improve air quality and ventilation. The second in a series of community meetings is scheduled for Thursday, February 9th, 2023 at 4.30 p.m. at the San Francisco Public Library Community Room. And then I did want to recognize um, staff for their engagement in a, an award. Um, just for some context, each year the Department of Pesticide Regulation honors California organizations for their integrated pest management achievements. The IPM Achievement Award, the IT, IPM Achievement Award program recognizes organizations that use integrated pest management to address the diverse pest management needs throughout California and recognize individuals and organizations that are leaders in the use of safe, sustainable, reduced risk pest management methods. And this past summer, one of our industrial hygienists in the Department of, of the, in our DPH environmental health branches, pesticide use in enforcement program, Phil Calhoun nominated the San Francisco Giants for this award. And I'm very pleased to say uh, that due to uh, Phil's work um, in support of the Giants program, the Giants were the recipient of the 2022 IPM Achievement Award, which is really a reflection of the hard work and collaboration of Phil and his team with the Giants and working with the small business community, ensuring that safer pesticide management practices are, are adopted. So congratulations to Phil and the SF Giants on the Integrated Pest Management Achievement Award. And with that, we will go on to the slides of the COVID-19 update. Could we have the first slide, please? Kenya, are you there? Hopefully we can get the first slide. They were there for a minute. We'll come back. All right, thank you. So just a quick update for the commission. Let's go on to the next slide. So you see um, over um, here on, the, on this slide are trends from the beginning of the pandemic, um, of July of 2020 to the far right of the slide where we are now. And you will see that um, we've had a winter uh, bump. Um, the surge of the winter has not been nearly as serious as what we saw over last winter of January 2020. January of 2022, when we had an incredible surge of 272 cases, you see that uh, per 100,000, now we're down to 12.9 per 100,000, so that this swell, if you will, in, in our, our current local situation is very much um, reflected in the insert of the U.S. trends. You'll see a, a similar uh, bump up. I do think it's important to point out that now in San Francisco, as we approach our three-year mark, of being in the pandemic, um, we've had nearly 200,000 people reported with COVID-19 and 
uh, tragically and with our condolences, uh, 1,137 people have, have died uh, due to COVID. Um, thankfully, because of our high vaccination rate um, and other precautions that we took early during the pandemic, these deaths, uh, many, many deaths uh, were prevented. Next slide. And you can see in relationship to our increase in cases, a uh, uh, now familiar pattern and having an increase in hospitalizations. You'll see on this slide that we're down to 90, an average of 91 uh, patients hospitalized with COVID-19, 15 in the ICU. Again, far different scenarios than we were in winter of 2022 or winter of 2021. Um, and again, this, these numbers include not only people in the hospital for COVID, but people in the hospitalized, hospital diagnosed with COVID, but hospitalized for other conditions. Next slide. In terms of our vaccine booster administration, really call your attention to the far right of this slide with regard to the percent of population bivalent boosted. You'll see we have 35% of San Franciscans who have received a bivalent uh, booster and 61% of people 65 to 74 and 56% of people 75 and over have received this bivalent booster. While those numbers, you know, we, we would still like to see those be higher because we know that this bivalent booster helps prevent uh, the worst outcomes due to um, the, the currently circulating um, variants. Uh, we, we are far higher in terms of our bivalent booster than many other uh, communities across the country and, and the state. Next slide. So we will continue to focus our efforts and messaging on improving COVID-19 vaccination and booster rates. This, these are the best way for individuals to continue to protect themselves from the health impacts of COVID. We are, um, I'm pleased to say that the RSV and flu numbers continue to decline in San Francisco and in uh, California overall. And as I already mentioned, COVID hospitalizations are now, um, are, are now also decreasing and they're lower than they've been in previous winters. It's not too late to protect yourself and others this winter with our guidance that you're all now very familiar with. And just to say that we continue to review our COVID-19 policies and health orders and we'll begin to remove many of these COVID-19 prevention and control um, orders um, as um, Sorry, we will begin to remove many of these orders as COVID prevention and control are further integrated into standard DPH work and in preparation for the end of the California State of Emergency on February 28th, 2023. And that completes my COVID update. I'm happy to answer any questions on the, the, the COVID update or other, area, other um, contents of the director's report. Thank you, commissioners. Thank you, Director Colfax. Is there any public comment? Thank you, it's Patrick Manetshaw, gratefully for the last time today. It's troubling Dr. Colfax's written report is pathetically only three pages long. Colfax mentioned nothing about uh, CDPH's progress extending Laguna Honda's temporary pause on discharges beyond February 2nd. The date mandatory forced discharges are to resume per paragraph seven on page eight of the LAP settlement agreement. Those discharges are now just 16 days away from today. It's irresponsible of 
irresponsible of Laguna Hunter manager, starting with acting CEO Roland Pickens, along with his health commissioner, Dr. Colfax, that it has taken so long to ask the city attorney's office to submit a letter to CDG to request an extension beyond the artificial February 2nd date. It's facially absurd. Pickens hadn't requested the CAO write and submit this request long before now. Waiting so long to ask the CAO for help is like asking hostage takers, CMS and TDPH, to wait before shooting their hostages, meaning Laguna Honda's residents facing imminent and mandatory forced discharges and the potential of transfer trauma all over again. Colfax's written report makes no mention of, of what LAT capital, capital projects are currently underway or are planned. Dr. Colfax, you should release the list of Laguna Honda's capital projects now. Thank you. Commissioners, any comments or questions on the director's report for the COVID-19 update? Commissioners Green and Chow have their hands up. Vice President Green. Yes, well, thank you for the update. You know, and you may not have an answer to this or even have crafted a policy, but there was a New England Journal uh, commentary by Paul Offit, who's one of the well-known vaccine experts, that implied that young, healthy people probably shouldn't get the bivalent back vaccine going forward because the variants that are currently in circulation um, really aren't, uh, you know, have a, an ability to bypass the immunity the vaccine generates. So, you know, it was the only reason I bring it up is it was picked up by many news outlets. I don't know if it was picked up by the Chronicle, but we've been getting a lot of questions about it. So I just wondered whether, whether um, DPH has any thoughts or advice since it was rather vague, you know, young people, what does that really mean? So I wondered if there was any thoughts or any, any ideas in development. Yeah, so I appreciate that um, question, Commissioner. And uh, Dr. Susan Phillip is, is on the line, and I, I will let her respond to some of those details. I will say we're continuing to follow the CDC and, and, and state recommendations for uh, people receiving, receiving the booster. Um, and, and Dr. Phillip, I don't know if you have more to add about uh, the, the specific article or the context in which Commissioner Green was, was speaking. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Colfax. Good evening, Commissioners. Thank you, Vice President Green. Uh, around Dr. Uh, Offit's um, uh, comments and his commentary, you know, there is, there's a lot of, of conversation, which is, which is good. It's good to be talking about these issues, and I think that's really what his piece has prompted. Um, there are also a lot of, of advisors and senior epidemiologists, the people that have been following and part of the transition team um, and COVID team for uh, the, the the Biden White House that that uh, you know differ on their opinions and feel that there there is usefulness. I mean, for one, we do know that the vaccines decrease the risk of of hospitalization, and that can happen even in in healthy people in in uh, more rare occasions. Uh, it also decreases the risk of long COVID, which we know we don't yet know enough about, and, and we're in the process of learning uh, about that. Um, we certainly are um, really uh, doing our work and trying to emphasize 
the bivalent booster accessibility and information to uh, populations that are older. So that really is where our emphasis is, is public health. We understand the greatest benefit is there, but we, uh, don't, we don't think we would go as far as to say that we don't recommend that it go to younger ages yet. As Dr. Colfax said, we're following what the uh, advisory committees to CDC and FDA are, are saying in their recommendations. And I think that this will be an evolving discussion. So as we are now looking in hindsight and seeing that this was uh, so far a milder winter than we've had in previous years, the conversation about the next booster, whenever that is in a year or so, maybe a different one. So I think that that conversation is evolving and I think it's really good to have people with different viewpoints just so that we can we can talk through uh, this as a field of public health and um, of vaccine science. So I think more to come on this, but for now we are continuing to, to really emphasize this particularly for older individuals in San Francisco, but saying that it, it is a potential benefit to everyone and we want people to know about it and to be able to access the vaccine. Well, thank you. That was a great answer and a wonderful clarification. Thank you, Dr. Phillip, Vice President Green. Uh, Commissioner uh, Chow. Yes, I, I wanted to thank Dr. Kovacs for the uh, uh, announcement about the Chinatown Public Health Center. Uh, I know that it um, was uh, in the planning stages for a long time, and so um, I know that the community is very grateful. It's a very important center. Uh, I'm hoping that um, it mentions that the second of a series of community meetings are at the San Francisco Public Library. I'm uh, hopeful that uh, perhaps the first one was in Chinatown. I think it's really very important to continue to get the input from um, Chinatown and also from our other uh, Chinese communities in the city as they all use uh, the Chinatown Public Health Center. So thank you very much. I'm looking forward. Uh, I don't know how long it's gonna take, but uh, if it comes out as nicely as some of the uh, renovations and new buildings, uh, this will be uh, really a boon for the community. Thank you. And Commissioner Chung. Thank you, Commissioner Chow. Uh, Commissioner Chung. And thank you, Dr. Kofax, for your presentation. I think that, um, you know, following the news, um, there's a new variant that is popping up and um, it seems to be um, invading immune systems, but it actually impacts those who are vaccinated less than those who are not vaccinated. So I really appreciate DPH staff and our community partners' um, effort into like getting as many San Franciscans vaccinated as possible, and and which which resulted in such a high vaccination rate. Thank you. All right, commissioners, any other comments or questions on the director's report or COVID-19 update? I see no other hands. All right, seeing none, we will move on to our next item at the request of Commissioner Gerardo. We will be delaying the Community and Public Health Committee update until our next meeting, which brings us to other business. Any other business, any public comment on other business? Manette Shaw, um, are, is your hand raised for this item? Other business? No, I promised you, this is Patrick, I promised you on, on item nine that I would leave you alone for the rest of the day. All right, thank you, sir. All right, no 
All right, with no other business, we will. Oh, I'm sorry, Commissioner Green's hand is up. I'm oh, not... Commissioner Green. Her hand is not up. Ah, okay. All right, uh, with that, we will entertain a motion to adjourn. I so move to adjourn. Second. Public comment? None. There's no public comment on adjournment, but so. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. A, a roll call vote. Commissioner Chung? <laughs> uh, yes. Commissioner Gerardo? Yes. Commissioner Chow? Yes. Commissioner Green? Yes. And uh, Commissioner Renault? Yes. Thank you all. All right. Thank you, commissioners, DPH staff, members of the public. We will see you again in three weeks. Is that right? Uh, yes, February 7th. Yes, three weeks. Take Thank you, off. commissioners. Have a good evening.